We have so many listeners at the moment. We do. There's at uh, least two. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're not counting Dave, right? Because oh, hey, by the way, we're rolling. Oh, oh shit. Christ. Okay. Oh. Well, that's good. And welcome to the next episode of the Cage Fight Podcast. Uh, was that our fucking theme song? Yeah, man. I have never heard that. <laughs> yeah, a, I know. That, that was, was amazing. <laughs> that was incredible. I uh, Yeah. Oh, we just started recently recording this band called uh, National Pleasure. Oh. And uh, they heard that we were doing this podcast here and thought they wanted to get involved because they're all huge Cage fans. Yeah, um, shout out to Arlo Steele. Uh, yeah, Cage the Headfield, the lead singer, right? Oh, no, it was Arlo Steele, actually, but I, I think he's heavily Hetfield-inspired. But, um... Yeah, he gets down on some Hetfield, I know. I, I'll, um, I'll text him real quick. That was the greatest song I've ever heard in my that. entire life. Well, second greatest after the National Anthem, and then and then this. And oh, I then, think you got Dave turned all the way down in there. And then Old Town Road. Hmm. Oh, yeah, Old Town Road. Miley Race. Sorry, Dave, I had you turned down. The band members, uh, the guitarists are Frank Cadillac and uh, Vincent Cadillac. Yeah, really, brothers. They're really cool. They're twins. The Cadillac brothers. Yeah, and um, and don't forget Kits. Oh yeah, uh, what is it? Um, John Kits Fist Cannon, uh, the drummer, and uh, oh, I'm trying to remember the bassist here. Yeah, he's kind of. I don't want to say he's forgettable, but his name is it's uh, Purvis Purvis Rumproast. Oh yes, Purvis Rumproast. <laughs> the historic yeah. Purvis Rumproast. They'll. Uh, I think they're gonna do a lot of. Uh, interstitial music recordings and stuff for us so i'm really excited to see where this goes although I, i've seen a little bit of uh strife in the band the singer and the the rest of them aren't all getting along arlo's uh he, he's just come on tough times he's got a serious uh um i don't want i don't want to air out his grievances on the air i'm sure he's listening so we're gonna well let's uh i mean being a being in a band with your brother is hard we see the toll that it uh, took on Oasis. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we tried to get them to, to do the theme song too, but it just didn't work out. Yeah, um, they just got up there and started playing Wonderwall again. And you couldn't even get the high flying birds or whatever. Yeah, well, I, I sent a message to Oasis and I got a reply back from Liam Gallagher, and it just said, uh, "Fuck you." <laughs> that's, that's which that's, is rude. Yeah. That's so, just his uh, default response. Too. Yeah, it's like I, I'm away right now, can't respond. Fuck you. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah. So joining us for the first time today, we have our friend uh, Zeke the Freak. What up? Yeah, it's uh, Zach is his name. Uh, you want me to dox you and give out your last name and address? Yeah. Is that who that is? Yeah, I, I didn't tell you. I just hooked up the mic to the council. Uh, I hope you're not mad about it. I didn't know he was uh, gonna be here. Um, and then I walked in, and there was just this intense aroma of um axe body spray and uh sour gummy worms well i found out you don't have to shower if you have axe body spray so that's you true. just spray that all the time and you smell good that's fact that's how you get into the Yu-Gi-Oh tournaments where they have a rule that you have to shower <laughs> yeah you they actually have that ruled out I, you, yeah. if you smell bad you get penalized <laughs> really yeah it's crazy that's uh that's really good, actually. It's ridiculous that that rule is needed. <laughs> they should make that rule uh, when you want to run for president. Got him. Topical. I, they should at least Got make em. some rule where you can't just grab things by the... Go ahead. 
about the pussy. <laughs> um, but they let you do it. It's, yeah, I guess. Yeah, they just let enough, you do it. They just yeah. let you do it. I grabbed my cat by the putty tat. <laughs> and, and He's here we, all week. Yeah, we're finally at the comedy club on Tuesdays. Can we start rolling? Open mic night. Can we oh, start now. Oh yeah, we did. We did start rolling. Oops. <laughs> we'll just have to cut that out then. Um. Yeah. Don't worry. I do the editing. So, I'll just, uh, <laughs> so me and you are gonna sound like jackasses. We're gonna sound like. Gonna sound great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's he's gonna change the uh that putty tang thing to be uh, in our voices. Oh, I thought he was just gonna add like a laugh track to it. <laughs> okay. Well, we're here today to talk to you about two movies that are. Well. I, Anyone who's listening, I hope you people are fucking happy with what we've done for you, because Jesus Christ. Um, we are four movies in, and um, I already wish I was never born. Yeah. You ever spent uh, four hours on a Saturday morning um, watching someone either screaming or floating aimlessly? <laughs> because that's how I spent my Saturday this week. Luckily, I didn't, uh, I didn't watch these back-to-back, so I got a little bit of a break from the insanity of cage well you never know if something's actually good till you've seen the bad and now we can definitely say we have seen the bad that's true and well actually i don't know what you're talking about even but i guess uh we'll unpack that a little bit here (laughs) but um our two movies are as we said at the end of the last episode deadfall and uss indianapolis men of courage they're um they're interesting films to say the least uh well I don't know if I can really say that about them, actually. I, I I, thought that was the bare minimum I could say, but I was when I was watching at least one of these movies, and I'm not going to spoil it for the listener, I couldn't care less about what was going on. Well, see, but, here's, here's one thing I will say with confidence, is that both of these movies could have been subnamed Men of Courage. It's um, true. Because there was a lot of courage displayed. Not so much, maybe, by the Navy veterans. They signed up for that. Yeah, but the, <laughs> yeah you know how the, in movies they're always saying, I didn't sign up for this shit. You know what's going on? The they, exact type of shit they signed up for. Exactly. So, I don't know if when you sign up for the Navy, you have to do, like, shark survival. Oh, oh! I you signed should, up though. for the, the Navy. I thought it was going to be all fun and games, but now somebody splashed me in the face. Well, yeah, didn't you hear their theme song? It's like, in the Navy. Oh, like, yeah. They were, dancing. they were singing that the whole time. I feel like that's the only song they could secure the rights to, and they just kind of went with yeah, it. Yeah, they didn't hire a composer to do the score. They just, uh, they just paid the village people for in the Navy. And Why hire a composer <laughs> when the village people have done exactly what needed to be done for this film? Well, um... Let's give a little one-sentence summary of each of these films here. We've got uh, Deadfall, which is it's about a con man who's accidentally killed his own father in a con and is trying to uh, figure out some clues that his father left behind and figure out where they lead to possibly get the last his father's last wishes tied together in an order. Or that's... The way I'm trying to describe it, but also it goes to it's, a lot of interesting other places. It's hard to give a, a general overview of this movie because it's uh, yeah, because I feel like every five minutes it's a completely different thing going on. Yeah, but, um, especially early on in the movie. Then we've got a uh, USS Indianapolis Men of Courage, which is just a pretty straightforward movie about the USS Indianapolis. If any of you have heard of that, 
It was the ship that was carrying the atomic bomb parts to be assembled all the way to Okinawa or Guam or the Philippines. I don't remember exactly where. I They said it in the movie, and I, I don't remember it. It was like TN or something like that in the oh, Philippines. Yeah, yeah. yeah TNN. Yeah. It was, uh, it was Tiananmen Square, I think. It was something uh, somewhere not in the good old US of A. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, out in the world where I don't give a shit. Yeah. yeah. Doesn't exist to me. Yeah, and then the ship got sunk by a Japanese submarine, and uh, the crew sat on the water for four days and got eaten by sharks, and uh, then the captain got court-martialed for negligence in um, caring for the ship. So, that's pretty much the overview of the movie. A lot of... Honestly, I think that could be the whole plot summary of the movie, because and nothing else that happens in it is really impactful or matters the subplots don't really okay there's, there's a lot of here. there's a lot of padding uh in this, yeah. in this movie basically paddington bear you know what I'm <laughs> <laughs> um, but what's great um like again we don't want to get too deep into this just yet but what's great about the uss indianapolis movie is that so many people um when they want to you know learn something they will sit down and they will spend months and months and months just reading a book and why waste the time when you could sit down two hours? Every book done. I've read, it takes me like six or Just, seven months. Yeah, it's like there's so many words on each like page. A, I was trying to read this book. It was um, it was called um, uh, what was it? It was like Curious, Curious Bill, Curious George. That was it. Yeah. Like I read the first page and I was like, whoa, I have a lot to think about here. It's tough, but Where it's a story. <laughs> or what? Read the first page. Where could this be going? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. There's a man in a big yellow hat, and like, I'm the dude's styling. Like, what I'm, is his motivation though behind that hat? And why does he, why is he trying to kill this monkey? You know? Yeah. And then, well, I set it down. and I had to think about it for a month, really mull it over. And I read the next page, and you know, that's just kind of how it goes for me. I, I actually didn't finish it. It's over there in the corner, the pile of things that I've started and haven't finished book wise. So I'm, I'm waiting for the HBO series. And then maybe I'll go back and read them to see kind of where the inconsistencies are. But no, oh, yeah, no immediate plans to read. Yeah, did you hear anything? that? Um, who who are they getting to write that? I think George George Cameron, James Cameron, <laughs> is producing it. George but, R R Cameron. Yeah, jo- um, George R R Cameron <laughs> from the famous. Um, There's a lot Avatar, of explosions of and everyone dies. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what more could you ask for? It's it's true. it's true to the source text is what's important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a whole lot of explosions and deaths in most Curious George books. I right. think I've only ever read the first half of any one. But yeah, I won't give too much away. But he is a terrorist. So <laughs> oh, yeah. he he's terrorism curious. <laughs> he's like dipping his toes in the water. Yeah. yeah. Uh, just light terrorism. I guess with that we can jump right on in into our first feature film that we will be discussing which is deadfall the deadfall now here's a little overview of the facts we got here deadfall came out in 1993 it's uh i mean it was an interesting year it was a year before i was born a year after this gentleman was born and year i was born <laughs> wow look, look at the spectrum we got going here um well america was was in an interesting place i believe the George H.W. Bush administration had just ended. Bill Clinton was elected. He was coming in. The economy was doing quite well, um, I think. I don't remember. The uh, Kurt was, Cobain was regime one. was coming to a close. Oh, yeah. Um, Kurt Cobain was uh, he was out there doing heroin and um, 
I think he was, uh, there are reports that at the time of his death, he was trying to assemble a child army. Uh, so oh, yeah. yeah, I do remember hearing about that, but it was a little, uh, I don't know. I, I didn't know if I trusted the sources. Yeah. And you were young. So I, I was young. I wanted to be in the army, the Kurt Cobain child army. But oh, yeah. then, and I like, tried, but, uh, for me, the, the AK 47 just gets too hot mm-hmm. when you're, and you're just letting loose. So. Yeah, I know. When I'm standing there shooting an AK, I'm staring at it like, oh, God, I want to fuck this thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's very yep. hot. Very sexy. Um, uh, anyways. So fall. <laughs> yeah. Uh. <laughs> that, that was the year 1993. Uh, but this film was directed by Christopher Coppola, a man who happens to be Nicolas Cage's brother. Hmm. Yeah. So I sent some foul play. Yeah, maybe a little bit of a... You could tell this was, like, directed for Nicolas Cage. Yeah, I feel like it's a little bit of a pet project there, because Cage is definitely the character that stands out in this film, aside from maybe one or two other people that shows up a little later. But um, we're not going to spoil that until we get into the plot. The production company was Trimark Pictures, so no Saturn films this time, unlike the last two movies we did, which Cage owns. And I know everyone's always dying to hear about production companies. It's it's really the most interesting part of a film. There have been a couple of times when I go to the movies and I just see the production credits there and then walk right out afterwards. Cause, yeah, I mean, um, that's... You already got the good bits. Exactly. Right. If, as long if I know who made it, uh, I, I, I have faith in that person or don't. Um, and so I see that. And I'm like, oh, yeah, the John from Canon Films did this one. So it's got to be... Good old John. Um, and then you can just leave. Good old, good old John. He's a good guy, but he makes piece of shit movies, as you were oh, saying. Yeah. That's, oh, we got to cut that. John might be listening. He's a good, close, personal friend of mine. And I believe he knows some people in National Pleasure, even, too. So. Oh, yeah. The runtime is uh, 98 minutes for this movie. It doesn't overstay its welcome, necessarily. Uh, we'll talk about it a little bit later, but it's not too long, I don't think. The budget was $10 million, which I don't know how they got together this much money for this movie. Like, uh, you guys have seen it, right? That, <laughs> right? I'm not alone here. I think I saw it. Um, I feel like most of that money uh, went into, like, spray tanning uh, one of the actors. Um, <laughs> not going to say who, but... If- Do they just use real money for the end scene? I Honestly, they might have. That might have been the whole budget. <laughs> yeah, but- I think so. Um... Yeah, we'll have to... Well, hold on. We'll watch this again and just count up all the cash that falls out of that briefcase and see. And I think it'll probably add up to about nine and a half million dollars. But um, it grossed at the box office $18,369. Exactly. Yeah. But this is in 1993 dollars. You gotta spend oh, yeah. money to make money. You gotta... And you know what? They did both. <laughs> <laughs> well, they didn't... They made money, but, you know... Not, not quite as much as they spent. Exactly. But- but it still holds true. They spent money and they made money. That's all you need. Right. The the turn of phrase has not been negated mm-hmm. by this film, at least. No. Let's see. here. On reviews, we've got Rotten Tomatoes. Here's a whopping 0% on the tomato meter. Big so at Zippo. No critic had a single positive thing to say about this film, which is uh, lovely. But the audience score, and as we've said before here, we are men of the people, right? Oh, yeah. uh, well, I, I guess we haven't discussed it with Zach, but me and Mike, we're, we're, we're men, of men of the people. These critics are hacks, and um, as a DC fanboy, I'm a man of the person. <laughs> critics <laughs> lie. 
exactly that's true that's true and now um just to give a little bit of um context for who zach is uh he watched the four hour cut of batman versus superman and said it's over already um <laughs> and so that's the kind of person he is i really needed to see that scene of the gotham knights playing football uh, oh yeah that's it was critical to the plot i uh, i'm waiting for the director's cut where uh batman and superman scream martha at each other for 10 straight minutes i um i haven't seen this movie because i haven't seen anything that nicholas cage isn't in obviously oh, yeah. um but uh generally i mean i would have been cool with a, a football team cut in deadfall like it might have spiced something up or it, uss indianapolis men of courage could really use some spicing up but oh, that's yeah. not the film we're talking about i think if you added a random scene of football into dreadfall oh, uh, it man, wouldn't have affected ears. the plot at all and it would have fit in yeah it would probably just be taken as like some sort of artsy turn because you could tell from a lot of what they were doing with this film they were trying to be artsy but yeah there is no metacritic entry on this film it's not even on their website i don't know why but for all we know it might not even exist we just had a a simultaneous fever dream even though we didn't all watch it at the same time we don't know that nobody knows that <laughs> okay um, what do you mean we don't all get together and watch these movies <laughs> what the fuck but uh just a couple of fun quick facts about the film uh the band snot wrote a song about it called deadfall shockingly i haven't listened to the song i didn't want to give this film any more time than i did but i'm sure that snot as a new metal rap band hardcore thing probably wrote some very lovely songs about about this film their guitar player wound up being in limp biscuit Oh, wow. Did he really? That's I didn't even fact. know that. Yeah, after Wes Borland quit the first time, that dude jumped in. I don't remember his name, but I know he... Yeah, that definitely happened. Yeah, I remember uh, Snot broke up because uh, they couldn't handle the success of their song Deadfall. Um, <laughs> and a few of the members went and started a band called Booger, um, and they did a song called Dreadfall. And it was a lot more solidified. Oh, know, yeah. The it was, it was, they were that a little one, bit crustier. That one was for the kids. <laughs> <laughs> was it kids in that band? Oh yeah, I think Kits, the uh, drummer from from National Pleasure, was also briefly in Booger. Oh yeah. Um. Anyway, some weird fun facts about the film. Still, Tom Waits was considered for Charlie Sheen's role in this film. Um, which I didn't even know that Tom Waits had done any acting. I just know about his music career. That's I didn't so know that... Charlie Sheen was in this film until the opening credits. Oh yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe Tom Waits could have been a more. It's, he certainly would have been a more interesting Charlie Sheen, but I don't view him as the way Charlie Sheen was super like, you know, he was Suave. like, yeah, he was like Hugh Hefner or something. But I mean, he yeah. was wearing the Hugh Hefner jacket pretty yeah. much. I, I see Tom Waits more as like a guy who's like gravelly and smoking 45 cigarettes out back behind the bar and like takes like a shot of whiskey with you. So maybe he wouldn't have pulled this off right. Right. But. Well, I can see them changing that scene a bit to fit that personality more. Yeah. Because like. In all honesty, Charlie Sheen did not have to be in this movie. No, he didn't have to be in any way. <laughs> I, I, I just... <laughs> they were just like, hey, uh, we finished filming and we've got 45 minutes of material. So <laughs> you guys want to play a weird pool game? <laughs> and the cage is already gone. So, But um, Cage was told by dire director, his brother, Christopher Coppola, that he could dress however he wanted for his part. And uh, you can kind of see some of that going on. He really took that to heart. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is full of a lot of famous Hollywood families, like the Coppolas. There's Cage and Mark Coppola, who plays a tiny, ro tiny role, a tiny role in the film, along with Talia Shire 
and the director, Christopher Coppola. So this really sounds like a Coppola family project. I'm willing to bet that the $10 million budget is all their own money that they poured oh, into yeah. this. Um, Peter Fonda is in it. And the Sheens. We've got um, Charlie Sheen and Rene Estevez in this film. Oh, yeah. And potentially the most terrifying fact is that uh, the one of the writers, Nick Vallelonga, um, is an Academy Award winning writer. Oh, yes. Um, as of late, uh, he, he was one of the writers for Green Book and somehow also wrote Deadfall. Sorry, Dreadfall. And uh, I mean, I feel like his career is kind of moving backwards at this point. Like you kind of you want to start with a big hit and then get to your Deadfalls once you're like, you, you, it's true. You get a following and you're like, these people understand me. You start out so. with your good work and then eventually you stop giving a shit and then start pumping out things like Deadfall. That's a good word to describe this movie. Not giving a shit. Yeah. <laughs> Not giving a shit. Not a single shit was given. Um, another fun fact here. Uh, Michael Bean is in the starring role, but Val Kilmer was going to star, but pulled out last minute. Um, I can't say I blame him, but actually I can blame him because... Who wouldn't want to be involved in this movie? Actually, now that I'm looking at it, I mean, Batman doesn't need to be in this movie. <laughs> it's true, uh, but Superman. <laughs> but you know what? This movie, this movie did need justice. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. But yeah, that's all I got for the fact sheet here. I think now we're gonna move on to a little plot summary. Word, word, word. So the movie starts, and um, that's the craziest part to me. Is that it? Even it just. It just starts. It's there. It's there. It's this in. exists, and it refuses to let you forget it. Yeah, like I said, I didn't realize that Charlie Sheen was in this movie until the uh, the opening credits. So, some pretty informative uh, opening credits, yeah. in my opinion. You see, I I was aware. I spoiled myself by looking up the looking it up on IMDb. I didn't read the plot summary beforehand. I just uh, I gave it a little cursory look over, and I was like, Charlie Sheen's in it? Like, what's with all these actually pretty big people in this no-name movie? Like, I kind of it, wish I had read the plot summary beforehand, honestly. I, that would have helped a lot of the confusion. Yeah, so, like, uh, just give me some guidelines. So I bought this movie off Amazon. I was going to rent it until I looked it up, and the rental price and the buying price is the exact same. Damn. They're just trying to give this away. <laughs> I mean, I'll take one. <laughs> Yeah, they're not uh, they're not gatekeeping on this one. Anybody who views it, they count it as a net positive, and they can just hang on to it and have it. I uh, I actually tried to pay more for this movie, and they wouldn't let me. So <laughs> they kept prompting you, "Did you make a mistake? This must be a mistake." My bank has been calling me nonstop for the past forty-eight hours. So <laughs> it seems like you paid more than ninety-nine cents for Deadfall. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Are you okay? Uh, Did you mean the other Deadfall movies that were better? Did you... Were you looking for a dead pool? Mm-hmm. <laughs> More like Dreadpool. <laughs> Got him. Uh, while we were on the copy of the credits... Yeah. On the copy of the credits, what the fuck is wrong with my brain? We're, we're reading the credits off. Yeah. I, my note on the credits was, these credits are dramatic and boring. I do remember it going on for like two minutes of just names popping up to the screen while very, very melodramatic music was playing in the background. Melodramatic music that didn't really deliver much, but... Uh, but it worked. It got me pretty jacked up and ready for this film. At the start of it, with like those credits and like setting that mood of like driving to this warehouse or whatever, I was like, oh, this is going to be an interesting like crime thriller or whatever. Yeah. 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 I was and, mistaken. <laughs> well, let's 
let's not disparage the man, but um, I feel like there's there's so many movies of this era, like crime type movies, where you, it just has to open with somebody driving up to a warehouse. So I wasn't yeah. sure what movie I was watching at first. Um, it felt like pretty much every movie I'd seen on like TNT when I was 12 years old. Um, but yeah, so they they pull up to this warehouse. Um, in a car with a big cigar smoking big shot guy talking, oh yeah. talking him up. Michael Bean is driving it. They're uh, rolling on up. Michael Bean's giving his little monologue about life in this business and how he cons people into thinking, you know, he's innocent, easily manipulated. But he's the one that does the manipulating. Don't exactly. get it wrong. You can't get it twisted with the Bean man because he's done this before and he knows what's up. Um, so they're, they're selling like cocaine, right? Yeah. They're buying like $50,000 worth of cocaine. Um, which, of course, to prove that you're selling cocaine in a movie, somebody has to dip their fingers in it and, like, taste it or sniff it off their hand. And they go, they get all jacked up. They're like, okay, all right, there's, there's not much rock Ooh. candy cut into this. Um, <laughs> what, what was his exact phrase there? I don't recall. He pops his, uh, finger in his mouth and says that he's seeing angels. Oh, yeah. That's how you know it's good. I think it was laced with LSD. Well, did you guys notice, like, when you see that in movies, like, they just dip it, and, like, there's a small amount on their finger or whatever. This guy, like, goes in for a handful. <laughs> Wait, does he really say that? He yes. does say that. He's seeing angels. Yeah, I remember And he that. does take quite a handful. Like, like, his tolerance must be way up, because he's like... It was disgusting looking. <laughs> <laughs> right, like, that's some psychosis shit, right? Yeah. That's why they got, uh, snot to it do It was an song. OD waiting to happen. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he just keels over right there. We probably shouldn't laugh at this. Uh, no, I'm, I am laughing though. Um, so yeah, he's seeing angels. Um, that's some good smack he's got going on here. Um, but yeah. this is where things go awry. Now, what's the worst thing that could happen when you're doing a drug deal? Let me give you a hint. Fucking rats, dude. Yeah, fucking rats. Police affiliated motherfuckers wearing wires. Fucking coppers. Yeah, um, so, so uh, a little a little gunfight breaks out. Yeah, Bean um, walks up to the guy who's selling the drugs, and he's like, he's wearing a wire, kill him! And then pull. I don't know why he says kill him, because he's the one who does the killing. The other guy doesn't even have a gun. So he pulls out a gun and shoots the drug dealer man dead, and then cops start pouring down from upstairs. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, this place is laced with rats. The fat guy who's buying the drugs runs off, but leaves his money. I mean, you don't need the money at this point. He's seeing angels over here. Yeah, you're just trying exactly. to get out of there. Who can think of to carry a briefcase? That big handful of coke that made him see angels was worth all the money that he left. That's all the money that's in the world, for. really. Yeah. He just really needed uh, one fucking big old hit of cocaine, and he's done. And uh, I just wanted to make note of the fact that I, I did notice... Part of the goal of this movie was to make it kind of artsy-ish, and uh, there were a lot of Dutch angles, which, for the person who doesn't know what those are, they tilt the camera sideways and kind of shoot upwards or downwards to give it, like, a weird look to it, and just, there's just hundreds of them. Every single shot as the fat guy's running out and there's gunshots going down is a Dutch angle, and it's a little bit like, okay, I get it, like, this is kind of, like, weird and twisted and not the way it was supposed to go down, except... The audience can't really tell that the drug deal has gone awry until they get a little bit dizzy, mm -hmm. um, which is what I experienced. Um, and as soon as I was getting a little bit woozy, I knew that things were not going to be okay. And uh, in the fight, they made it look like Michael Bean was shot, too. It turns out he's not shot. 
and uh, he was running a con on that guy that he pulled up. So guess what? He was the manipulator. Bam. Bam. Like he said in his monologue. Well, I don't know about you guys. This is at the point in the movie where I was confused. Because right like off they, the bat, <laughs> they do this scene where it's like, oh, he's wearing wire, gunfight breaks out, people die. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, like, they get up and, like, the cops are, like, all laughing and everything. And mm-hmm. uh, Michael Bean gets up and everything. So I assumed Michael Bean was, like, an undercover cop. And it's like, oh, this was all, like, they're trying to catch this guy or, like, get these, this money off of this guy buying drugs or whatever. Didn't realize till the very end of the movie, they are not cops. Oh, really? (laughs) I thought the same thing, honestly. I was I was I was a little confused in the moment there, but uh once the cops started like laughing and talking to him and they're like, Oh, he's actually dead, then I kinda picked it up, but I will agree that it was not well explained at all. Like in fact, I didn't even know like any of the relations between any of these individuals going down and for for the listener, the uh the man who was giving the drugs was actually shot even though he wasn't supposed to be and that was pops to me which Big old uh, pop. pop yeah got popped michael bean's character keeps referring to him as pops and for a second i thought it was his dad and then he keeps calling him pops so much and making no reference to fatherhood or being related that i was like hold on is this guy's name just pops and it's not his dad like, yeah i, wait, I, I said not his dad it, it was, it his, was dad. his dad, oh, okay. but <laughs> I thought at first he was just like a mentor of some kind. Yeah, the whole movie had me second-guessing myself constantly because of just lack of explanation about tons well, of things. It, this is where I was confused for that whole cop thing because they made it so his dad died and all these cops are like sad and they're like, oh my god, you killed him, and they tell him to run. Uh-huh. At this point, I was like, oh, is Michael B not a cop, but his dad's a cop and they had him do this? Like, these are the worst cops in the world. Why are you just getting outside people to do this? And uh, I was just so lost on, like, how this dynamic works. Like, is he an actual con man or is he a cop or like, what is he? (laughs) But yeah, but we can say in retrospect that he's a con man. His dad is a con man. But um, he's a cop man, maybe yeah, a cop con. <laughs> His dad is laying there dying a very dramatic death and yelling about. I didn't even notice this. Like he says something to him like bah, 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 and he then took the cake. Yeah, the cake, the cake. <laughs> I didn't hear that. Uh, like literally, I didn't know he was looking for the cake. I just knew he was looking for something for his dad until much later in the film when they call it the cake again. I was like, oh, he said the cake, <laughs> which um, I thought it was just like an old rambling man. Like, yeah, yeah. what the fuck yeah. does the cake mean? <laughs> I just assumed that he was like, it's a lie in the throes of death hey. and just started to yeah. reference portal or whatever. Like, like where they try to go for like a rosebud thing, where it's like, oh, what does this mean throughout the movie? But like after that scene, I didn't think about the cake at all. I really yeah. did not either. I didn't think about the cake at all either. It was just like a whole nother movie was happening, and then <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because from so we get the the cake thing, um, and then it kind of transitions to Michael being, uh, I guess, mourning, but he's just kind of like he's drinking drunk. vodka in his underwear. <laughs> he's curled up on his uh, by his bedside. Drinking vodka and uh, weeping, uh, looking like a real sad sack of shit. Um, I mean, I guess if you killed your own father, that might that might happen. But you yeah, know. and I guess uh, it's revealed there that there were supposed to be blanks in the gun that he shot right. his dad with, but they were not put in that gun. Right. So it's like basically uh, this inspired them to film the crow. I think. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, but uh. 
Then we move on to his father's funeral where he's being buried, and for some reason his father's associates are actively talking about his father's crimes and paying him for the con job that he was in, while the gravediggers, like four of them, are standing there throwing dirt <laughs> on his father's coffin. And it's like, how... <laughs> They're shoveling dirt into his grave, and one guy says, hey man, maybe you should have checked the chamber. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, what an asshole, right? We wouldn't be here right now burying this man if you would have just checked the chamber. Like, I, read the room. Like, he clearly feels <laughs> terrible. He's been, like, drinking in his underwear for who knows how long. Yeah. And this guy's just like, you killed your dad, fucker. Yeah. Like, screw you, guy. Next time. Hey, why are you crying? You, you did some <laughs> stupid, idiot. Oh. <laughs> it was you big fun. dumb dummy. <laughs> Weirdest funeral I've ever seen. <laughs> just like, yeah. yeah, and then that guy there uh, says, like, this is all your father had, and he gives them a key to, like, a locker, you know, that they have lockers at a bunch of public places where there's a key in there, you can put something in there, take the key with you while you're gone, and then come back and get your stuff. Like, I've seen it at museums and... Yeah. Bus stations, uh, stuff yeah. like that. Lockers, storage units. We've heard of them. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I guess the bean man... Oh, but you're also leaving out the funeral... There's this mysterious woman oh, at one yes. of the graves. Oh, yes. mm-hmm. he, he thinks for a second that he like hallucinated her uh, or something in his drunken stupor. Yeah. yeah. As you do. I, I tend to hallucinate when I'm drunk. Yeah. Um, Give me one sip of that sweet, sweet vodka and I'm seeing all types of shit. <laughs> Are you seeing angels? <laughs> exactly. Need to, I, I take a big fistful of whiskey, shove it in my face, and I'm seeing angels, man. <laughs> I just snort a whole line of bourbon. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, he, he goes to this locker, um, he finds, like, a letter. Yeah, he finds a duffel bag with a letter inside of it that says something about his dad's brother, Lou, so his uncle. Which is the point where I actually, it wasn't until a little bit later when he calls him Uncle Lou that I actually realized that that was his dad and he's not just named Pops. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, to to not confuse myself. What if if Uncle Lou is also a nickname? That could be. Uncle, that's kind of a cool nickname, honestly. Yeah, if I ran a crime syndicate, I'd probably call myself like hey, Uncle buddy, Lou. Hey, buddy, go see Uncle Lou. <laughs> hey, buddy, hey, why don't you go see Uncle Lou upstairs there? He's got a, he's got some stromboli for your mama. <laughs> it's, it's not that crazy to think that somebody could be named Uncle Lou when we uh, meet a giant guy named The Baby. So, <laughs> is, it, is it Big Baby or is it The Baby? I think it's The Baby. It's yeah, it's The, the Baby. Baby. Which is never explained. <laughs> Which, no. yeah, I think uh, he just he looks has like he lollipops? should be wearing a diaper. Oh, yeah, yeah. that's true. He does uh, make a stripper pop a lollipop into his mouth before he can start a conversation. Yeah. Um, so we find out from this, this letter, yeah, that uh, his, his father has a, an estranged brother. Mm-hmm. Um, and they kind of hint uh, that, like, a, a woman came between them, right? Yeah. And uh, he's got this picture of, like, his... His mom and dad, and it's mysteriously cut off on the right side. Yeah, it's all ripped. Yeah. Um, which... And then they, you see that the woman in that photo is basically wearing exactly what the woman at the grave was at the funeral. Right. And had the same red hair, so... Right. So you can tell it's the same woman because uh, Wardrobe could only afford one outfit for her, and that's how you know <laughs> who that is. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he he basically uh, says he hated his brother. Um, you know, they didn't bro before Ho or whatever, and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, it was a, it was actual bros, not before hoes. And so uh, throughout this, uh, this whole intro to the movie, um, 
we learn that Michael Bean, um, I think he's reading off cue cards or something. Uh, he's he's just like he's just like very heavily reading each line, uh, and it's it's very flat. Uh, and oh yeah, this is a man who has uh, at this point already been in the Terminator, the first one. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was in Aliens. And the whole time I was looking at him, I was like, I feel like he's in other things that I've seen, but I don't, I don't remember. Oh yeah, he was, uh, oh, he was, what's his name, Hicks in, in, he's the main good Marine in Aliens. I'm remembering this now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and so, um, it's he's, all occurring to me. he's the guy that, um, they'll put it in a movie cause he has that face, but you don't want to give him the lines. And that's what we learned from Deadfall. True. He's he's not a lead by any means. He, no, he's I, not an especially charismatic man. Right, and uh, I mean he he does have that look where like yeah, throw him in an action movie, fine. But uh, I guess don't give him so many monologues or yeah, definitely not voiceover monologues because every time he's talking in them, I'm like this feels so like even in 1993, I bet this was cliched and like you know yeah yeah annoying. Well, well, I kind of thought that's what they were going for is like, oh, this is the crime thriller of the 90s, like not parody so much, but as like an homage kind yeah. of to oh, all yeah. of it. Yeah, I could see and, that. But then it takes itself really seriously. So I still I heard they trying to go for that or were they just like, let's make a crime thriller and do all the cliches. It, yeah. it definitely seems like one of those movies where they took themselves really seriously, but uh, way after the fact, they're like, oh, yeah, we were totally it was. Totally supposed to be a big, big gab. We were laughing our butts off the whole time at how uh, nuts this movie is. It's supposed to be that way. <laughs> oh, yeah. So uh, Michael Bean goes out west looking for Lou, his dad's brother, his uncle, and he ends up sitting in a cafe where he's pretty sure Lou is involved in this somehow. And uh, he sends a note or to his waiter saying like i'm looking for lou i'm his nephew and everybody like turns around yeah everybody's staring at him well they do a really long scene of like him watching all the people and like there's secret bets taking place oh, yeah. yeah there's like and- a note being given at a pretzel stand that's putting a cup of coffee that's taken by a waitress and i'm like this is weird and convoluted which I- is then never referenced again nope <laughs> goes nowhere <laughs> but uh at this point the cage man appears and we get our first glimpse <laughs> oh. of the glory of Nicolas Cage. And let me let me just preface this with uh it is immaculate. Um his his presence in this movie is is just insane. Yeah. Cage is really the part of this movie that makes it worth watching, honestly. Oh yeah. Um, if he wasn't in this movie, uh I probably would have been playing uh Garfield Food Truck on my phone. Yeah. <laughs> so Hiring Garfield Eats. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but um, Cage says the immortal first line of the film, pick a card. And he says, in a crazy affect, this man is talking in the weirdest ways. I, I was going to say, you deliver that line much better. Yeah, <laughs> I, was trying, I was trying to go for what he was going, but it, it, I can't really capture, <laughs> I can't talk like that. He has I just a weird can't. mix of like trying to do that classic mob voice while also kind of being stupid yeah yeah like, and, and crazy he, I, I like he's doing the the classic classic kind of mob voice but you can tell that he's trying to differentiate slightly but he doesn't know how exactly like he's going to make it different so he's just like kind of yelling stuff yeah, yeah. 
and uh, we can tell that he was able to wear whatever he wanted because he's got this weird, like, 70s giant collar shirt that's, like, covered in weird color photos all yeah, over Yeah, it. it looks like, uh, like, those stickers you see on people's suitcases of all the places they've been. Yeah. <laughs> that's what it looks like. And um, he's got a giant ring on his finger. It looks oh, yeah. like he just won the Super Bowl or something. I mean, and he might have. They don't really explain much. Um, but, uh, so he looks insane. He has this, like, weird, extremely oily, greasy tan. Like, yeah. it looks like they just sprayed him down. Um, and he's got, like, a little, uh, creepo pencil mustache the the first thing i thought when i saw him was he the uncle from napoleon dynamite was so obviously that's inspired by this character he is uncle rico he he seriously is like i i feel like a lot of the prep for that movie was just watching death all over and over again um could have been i was thinking he's like he's like paul mccartney if paul mccartney was crazy drug addicted but yeah uh, he's he's got a weird look going on. He's got a weird accent going on, and uh, it turns out he's scouting for Lou. And he's like, "Uh, why, why don't we why don't we take a walk with me?" Huh? And he's well, the whole bit. Oh yeah, because it comes up a few times. It's like the oh, whole yeah. pick a car. Oh yeah, pick a car. It's yeah, a high card. Car. You tell me something. Low card. I tell you something. Oh yeah. Uh, bean pulls card. Oh my god, it's a Joker and uh. Eddie knew that it was going to be a Joker. Yeah, he says, he's a Joker. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. And, Joker's wild. Yeah, and it, Steve, what really brings this all around is that this is where you learn subtly uh, that Nicolas Cage's fact, uh, character likes to embrace chaos. You know? He is the Joker. He's, uh, <laughs> he's chaotic evil. I oh, believe. yeah. This is who should have been in the Batman trilogy. Honestly? Yeah. Because you know what? I, I think he's he, still alive. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I think he, he could have beaten Heath Ledger's Joker with this performance. We'll probably get to it later, but his card thing, I do think, is a very interesting thing in this movie. Yeah, yeah they, they do call back later. to it uh, quite a few times. Um, so, Cage, who is named Eddie in this film, uh, takes Michael Bean, who... I don't remember what he's named in this film, so you. I just wouldn't be Joey. surprised if it was Michael. <laughs> oh, it's Joey. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they start by calling him Joey, which is what I started writing in my notes. But then at some point they start calling him Joe, and I don't know if uh, Joey's just kind of like a cute, "Hey, I'm Diane, fuck me" nickname. But oh yeah. Maybe it signifies him growing up. Oh yeah. yeah, he does. He does mature a lot in this film. But uh, so they go up to Lou's office that overlooks the market. And Lou's standing there and says, I haven't seen my nephew in 30 years. And I'm like, oh, so Michael Bean is supposed to be over 30 years old in this film. I didn't recognize. Oh, I thought it meant like he saw him when he was born or something or like when he was like a real small baby. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think because um, I, I got the feeling that uh, he didn't know that his uncle existed even. So, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, in the middle of this conversation the the cage meister takes some pills and just starts fucking gyrating <laughs> this was incredible he just he just sits off to the side while uh joe and uncle lou have a conversation and the conversation is not the focus of the scene it is nicholas cage sitting on the side popping a couple pills and then just shaking around like a madman <laughs> and it was fucking great it was fantastic and he's like acting as a receptionist now for some reason right he, like, 
And uh, so obviously, um, I don't. Well, I don't know if we have mentioned this, but Uncle Lou is actually his dad's twin brother. Um, so basically, oh, yeah. seeing uh, Uncle Lou is like seeing his dad again, and it gets him all emotional and fucked up. The only which, difference is Lou's got gray hair, and, right? And uh, right, his Pop dad had yeah. has dyed his hair, yeah. <laughs> and Lou hasn't figured out how to. So this is where we get the uh, the line from Cage. Um, Looks like you just seen a ghost friend. Because he calls everybody friend yeah. really uh, aggressively. Looks like you just seen a ghost friend. Uh. <laughs> that, that was perfect. Uh, but yeah, apparently Lou already knows that Bean's dad is dead. That the good old pops man who is apparently named Mike. So hell yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> you could be saying literally any male names, and it would sound correct. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, there's no real distinction between any of these people. Um, but he, he doesn't know that Bean is the one who shot him by accident. Right. Well, so. in fact, he lies and says he wasn't even there when yeah. it happened. He says, like, oh, I wish I could have been there. Yeah. Michael Bean keeps saying how him and his dad are like a partnership and like a team. Yeah. But for some reason, he wasn't at that job. Yeah, he says, we were a partnership. We were a team. I can't do this anymore without him. But he also says. He did a lot of things off on his own, yeah. which doesn't really sound like a partnership or a team. Hey, he did a couple things off on his own, like uh, he died without me and I wasn't <laughs> there. And at this point, I'm yelling at the TV like, you did it. You were there. You should have checked the chamber. You liar, man. Yeah. Check the chamber. That's why he didn't let Uncle Lou know that he was there, because if he hears you should have checked the chamber one more fucking time, <laughs> he's going to lose his shit. But uh, Lou suggests that Eddie show him around town. And uh, we're left with a lingering shot of Cage angrily gripping the arm of the chair. It really oh, zooms yeah. in on his fingers as he's just going at it on it. He's instantly jealous of the bond that uh, is stricken up between Joe and his uncle. Because, God forbid. I think uh, this is also where they like plant the seeds where like Uncle Lou is a mob boss or something. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. You, you kind of get that feeling when they're in the diner and uh, Cage or not Cage, um, Michael Bean asks for Uncle Lou and everybody's like oh, like everybody knows him for some reason. Uh, everybody's like looking around like, who's this guy? Who is he? Why is he asking for yeah. this guy? He's looking, he's asking for Lou. Uh, so you're Lou's nephew, huh? Uh, uh, let's get a fucking uh, blood test over here. Because uh, <laughs> I don't believe you're his nephew. <laughs> So, yeah. <laughs> Eddie shows him around town. We're introduced to Eddie's girlfriend, Diane. Mm hmm. A real fine lady. Clarification girlfriend or wife? I have no idea. They're just somehow. Because at one point she says, like, she's married to him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't recall. But... I might have been writing something down during that, but I do remember it being. She even says at one point, I don't sleep with him. And then. Yeah, but. Uh... And then Bean's like, that's nice to know. <laughs> yeah. like, wow. I literally think that's what he says. I, I'm not. Uh, all I know for sure is that um, the character, the baby, refers to her as um, Eddie's. Uh, let me look at my notes here. Bitch. Uh, oh yeah. So that could mean anything, really. Yeah, and uh, being staring nicely at Diane, um, I can't understand anything that Cage is saying at this point because his <laughs> accent is so fucking ridiculous. Yeah, because this is when he drives into like her house to pick her up or yeah. something. And yeah. I, I do remember catching one thing here: is he's starting his car and it won't start. He yells, um, "Fucking fucker, fuck!" And, uh, and that's the most coherent thing he says in the entire film. Bean says he's a little suspicious of Eddie. He thinks Eddie's a little too flashy, a little too, you know, caught up in 
the money that he's making from these cons and not caught up in the work and making sure that he stays under the radar so he can keep conning. And as he's saying this, we get a shot of Cage flipping through his money saying, I gotta say, this just keeps coming. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Uh, it's... uh, He's clearly a man um, who is uh, trying to to give off a certain vibe and um you know i think it's gonna get him in trouble there was also a costume change in between this where now eddie's wearing that like white tux Uh, he's wearing like a reverse tux with a black shirt and a white white coat and pants he's scarface yeah uh eddie scarface (laughs) bean's just wearing a nice black button-down shirt with black pants i think i don't fucking remember Generic white male outfit. Yeah, generic white white male outfit that's fancy. And Diane's wearing this big, flashy, long uh, red dress. And they go on out to a bar. I don't know why you would go to this, like, divey-looking bar when you're dressed like that. It doesn't seem like a place that I would go in a tux, but, um, yeah. And they run a little con where uh, Diane is, like... She's wearing a really fancy bracelet, and they make note of the bracelet, make sure the bartender sees the bracelet, and then they leave and uh, come back saying, like, oh, I must have left it here. It's uh, it, It's got to be here. Where else could it be? And then Cage goes up and he says, like, hey, uh, my, my lady, she lost a, a bracelet. That's really important. And uh, if you can find it, I'll give you $500. <laughs> and inscribed in, in the inside of the bracelet is a uh, fuck motherfucker fuck. And uh, I think high fucking ya is written next to it. Uh, yeah, of course. Cage gives the bartender a phone number and uh, says, call him if you find it. And then they leave the bar and immediately Bean walks out holding the bracelet. And he's like, hey, I just found this in the bathroom there. And then the bartender's like, I'll give you $100 for that. And he's like, make it 200 And she's like, all right, fine. I'm going to make $300. Calls the phone number. Dead air. Like nothing. What? It's a disconnected number. <laughs> <laughs> and that is how you get two hundred dollars. <laughs> Success. You can tell they're making the real big bucks here. <laughs> like, holy shit! What if we told her it was worth six hundred dollars, and we made two hundred and fifty? And it would have worked. It would have worked too. It would have. It would have been really good. I don't know why they don't set their sights higher. What if, like, uh, if you give me that bracelet, I'll give you uh one point five million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> If you, uh, and she happens to have a million dollars in the register. Exactly. That's um, how they actually. This is basically, uh, they're telling the tale of how they got the money to make this movie. $200 <laughs> at a time. They just kept going around to bars <laughs> in real life, yeah. just conning poor waitresses. Yeah. No, at this point in my notes, all I have written down is, uh, what the fuck is Cage saying or doing? <laughs> because he's doing some weird shit. Because, like, as he's, like, saying, oh, I'll pay you all this money, there's a bunch of other words going on, but he's, like, half crying? Yeah. He's, he's getting, uh, all worked up, and it's, it's really hard to get a read on his emotions for most of this, um, so I just kind of, uh, defaulted to rage, just assuming that he was- Rage and craziness. Right. And- so he's like so angry that he's almost crying, which happens. But uh, it's happening to me right now. Yeah, I, throughout most of this movie, I only understood about fifty percent of Cage's lines because of his weird way of talking and acting in this film. I couldn't tell in some scenes was he dubbed over, like redoing lines. Like I, I don't. He might. Or have is been it just the way he yard. talks? Like, see, that would not surprise like a me. Disconnect. 
That would not surprise me but, at like, all. The sound of everyone else and then him just yeah, it sounds so different. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like that could be because this movie just didn't have a script, okay. and so they they just put everybody on set and they're like, okay, yell some shit, <laughs> and then if it's not good enough, we'll just yell some shit in the studio later and uh, put it right over. But yeah, after after the little stolen bracelet con, Eddie gets a call from Lou saying they're gonna make Bean collect uh. Fifteen hundred, yeah, fifteen hundred dollars from a strip club owner named the Baby. The Baby. Oh, he was the owner. I thought he was just like a dude. I think he's the owner. Okay, um, but he's uh, a baby, and he loves his boobies. <laughs> That's how he got the nickname and lollipops. Oh yeah. yeah. As as we meet the baby, they're like, "So you're the baby," and he's like, he just holds up a finger and they're saying, "Hold on here." Turns to the lady next to him. He's surrounded by strippers. Yeah, just uh, just surrounded. They're all like hanging on him. And one of them, like, takes out a lollipop and just, just gives it a lick it. and then hands it over to him. And he sucks on it. And he's like, yeah, I'm the baby. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, hold on. I need my baba. <laughs> but, so uh, that's how you learn he's the baby. Um, then Ev, uh, after Eddie gives Michael Bean the job that he has to do, tells him to go to baby, he walks out to the car and he's like sniffing glue or a marker or something. I couldn't tell. He was just had something in his hands and he's furiously sniffing and <laughs> snorting it and saying some ridiculous shit, gyrating and saying like, oh, he's going to die in there. He's not yeah. he's not going to get this money. No one gets yeah. the money from the baby. <laughs> yeah. He, so we, we get the gist that he's uh, on a he's put poor Joey on a suicide mission. And then we see uh, Joe and the baby outside the bar, and they're fucking all chumming up. Yeah, shaking hands or hugging. Which uh, sends, uh, sends Cage into such a rage, the marker almost goes all the way up his nose. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, He's not handling this well. Turns out Joey got the money. Yeah. Or so we think. Da-na-na. Uh, spoilers for next week on Cage Fight. <laughs> But uh, we cut to a shot of an, a man with an enormous beard who's following Bean around and watching him. I think. Oh, yeah. And yep. uh, this who was that guy. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that whole plot line seems to go nowhere except to just send Eddie into a rage again later. But uh, yeah, there's... And, 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 well, I'll talk about it when we get to that. But I'm a little disappointed. I was hoping one of you guys would be like, oh, they reference it right here. And. But they they no. really just like in between scenes, they kind of just show this guy to remind you that he's there for some reason. And that's it, I think. Like, <laughs> there was a few characters in the movie where um, the only reason that I took note of them is because they had like a ridiculous hair or beard that looked fake. And then it turns out later in the movie, it was fa- it was supposed to be fake. Yeah. And uh, that beard right for on. reasons for. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you got to find the biggest, fakest beard. Uh, Joey, Michael Bean, goes to Lou's office to look for clues for the cake and what the cake is. And while he's there, he finds a one-way ticket to Tahiti in Lou's name. And uh, also finds a photo, the photo that his dad had of him and his mom that was torn. He finds the full photo, and it's all three of them. It's Lou, his dad, and his mom all standing there together. They, you can tell they're all fucking this. That's a devil's triangle right there. Oh, yeah. It's uh we have twins. It's a swingy thing. So he gets to his apartment and uh, Diane is just there waiting and she starts just making out with him immediately upon entry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> At this point, she says like or like she tries to like get with Joe 
And Joe's like, hey, no, I don't do that. And she's like, hooking's all I know or something like, along yeah, those lines, right? Like, yeah, like, this is all I have. Like, I got to do stuff for me. I'm not in with Lou or, with Lou or Eddie or any of them. I'm, uh, I go with him because he buys me nice things and things. But this is what I do for me. And then he's just like, okay, well, in that case, I'm going to kiss you more. <laughs> no, no, at first he's like, oh, no, I'm not going to do that. Kissing's gross. But then she, like, gives her sad story, and then he's like, come here. (laughs) Never mind what I just said. That just turned me the fuck on. Yeah, so we get a very long, unsexy sex montage. It was the quietest sex scene I've ever watched. Oh, yeah. yeah. I I feel like they uh, hired a Foley artist to do some uh, overdubbing on that, and they just got too horned up. (laughs) They didn't didn't add anything to it. Like the sound guy's like watching it, trying to sync up the audio, and is just like jacking off there and forgets to do his job. <laughs> they had to but, cut out the audio because you just hear heavy breathing from the <laughs> cameraman the whole time. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know why he's jacking off because I was not turned on by this sex scene at all. Like it, it was just basically a bunch of titty shots and nothing it, else. Everything was just so slow too. Like. Yeah. Well, Every scene was like them slowly moving on each other. Yeah, and just slowly peeling off clothing. Neither not, of them seeming that interested, and they're all just kind of standing there with, you know... Not that I need a rigorous sex scene in a movie, but see, it, just, yeah. it just seemed really weird being really slow, really quiet. No, See, I, I like a little bit more subtle. Uh, and you guys might not know this, but when it comes to love, you take it slow. Well, this uh, they take it very slow, and the sex scene goes on for, like, at least three minutes. And unnecessarily long yeah it's uh, i'm just sitting there like can, can we move on to the rest of the plot this isn't turning me on it's not adding anything to the movie uh, but you see seen the bean's butt that's oh, true. true we see a little bean butt it it does add a little bit to the movie uh in that it it just really proves that uh michael bean's entire purpose in this movie is to just emasculate nicholas cage it's true at every turn um we get a little bit more of that later too but he pulls uh, his pants down in front of a cute girl (laughs) after the they have the sex uh we get a little pillow talk there where bean reveals that his mother died when he was a baby and uh that's what i talk about right after boning yeah that's usually where i go well for some reason he lies about it first because like she sees the necklace that i guess he wears now oh yeah he wears a locket with her photo in it yeah yeah and And he's like oh that's my ex-girlfriend that i don't like to talk about and she's like really and he's like no that's my mom (laughs) okay dude like that was an unnecessary thing to lie about yeah you know that orgasm you just had that huge orgasm that's how my mom died (laughs) (laughs) but uh yeah so then it's lou's birthday and bean's like i want to get a little closer in with lou get in on that so he goes over there and we see lou's like 20 year old girlfriend who's like she sounds like janice from friends almost uh just rambling like oh look at you it's your birthday you gotta blow out the candles there and he's just like you know i hate birthdays he's like it's your birthday do this i made it and he's like no no i don't like this he's like fucking do it god damn it (laughs) Uh, at which point he's like, ah, honey, you you know I hate women. And then she leaves. Yeah. And that, pretty, that's really all that happens. Yeah. Then we cut back to that strip club that the baby owns. Cage is sitting there at the front thing, chugging beer, yelling, and just being all around a fucking weirdo. Right. Uh, As then, you do in a strip club, you just kind of scream into the abyss. Yeah. <laughs> the one stripper on stage is just 
dancing for Nicolas Cage for some reason. Even though the bar, the strip club is full of people. Yeah. She's, She's like, like, hey, you want to yell into my asshole? <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is where we find out, or Cage finds out that, um, so Joe paid out of pocket um, for the baby's debt. Yeah. Um, he said, uh, I think the baby's exact words were, all he said to me was, all you got to do is walk out there and shake my hand and the debt's forgiven. Yeah, because basically he's like, I'm a baby. <laughs> I don't have a bank account. Oh, in case we didn't describe, the baby is a huge black man. <laughs> he's, a, he's a huge black man, but he is a baby. And he doesn't have a bank account. Um, so Where's diapers? It's a little weird. This is, uh, this, this is where like, Cage's rage has already been sparked. Yeah. Um, he thinks Joe's after his job. Right. Mm -hmm. And the baby suggests that to him. He says that uh, he's gunning for your job and probably fucked your bitch. <laughs> Which, <laughs> Which I don't know where he pulls that out of, but it's true and it was accurate. Like, he, he knew exactly what happened. <laughs> it's, like, it's like Joe walked up to him and was like, hey, I'm going to pay your debt and we're going to shake hands for this guy outside and look at him over there. I just, I'm about to go fuck his wife? Question mark? I don't know. <laughs> Um, so this is when the like rage spiral begins mm -hmm. and he starts, uh, screaming shit, uh, yeah, more things shit. that I can't understand. Like <laughs> he's just yelling. yelling so All you loud. need to understand is the fuck. <laughs> yeah. Which, yeah. He screams for a good, like three seconds held out. The whole club is staring at him. We scroll he by at the bar. Big beard man is standing there. <gasps> Big like, beard guy listening back. in. So uh, and, yeah, he's uh, he's watching this unfold. Yeah, he Cage storms out of the bar and well, hold like, on, hold on. First, we have to mention he beats a random stranger for some reason, uh, and in yeah. the process, yells the immortal line, "Hi fucking ya, <laughs> hi <laughs> fucking ya." I'm almost positive that that couldn't have been in the script, but uh, Cage was kind of looking for his uh, yippee kaye motherfucker moment, and he was like, "Here we go." Hi fucking yeah. It's definitely the best line in this movie. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. By far. If that wasn't in every trailer, that's probably why nobody saw this movie. It's true. And in fact, this scene is probably my favorite scene of the movie. Uh honestly, oh, yeah. if you're I'm not gonna say that you shouldn't watch these movies with us, but you could probably skip this movie and just look up uh Deadfall strip club scene on YouTube. I and... do not endorse that. What you should I... watch this whole movie. So after watching this movie, I had to talk about to somebody so i just looked up the eddie scenes mm -hmm. and just show that to somebody because that's all you really need to watch yeah it's all you remember after watching it anyway yeah so eddie goes out to his car beard man follows him and like attacks him yeah tries to kill him and for, cage pulls off reason. his beard in the process yeah for some reason it was a fake beard <laughs> this we don't know who this guy is but he attacks eddie and eddie kills him uh, yeah before he kills him he says who sent you and the guy says, Sam fucking Beckenfall, which I've made a point of writing down because I thought that would be important. Never it's... addressed again. Who the hell is Sam Beckenfall? I. No idea. Could not tell you. <laughs> I, I hoped uh, one of the three of us would pick up on that, but it uh, I don't think it was explained at all. I don't think so. I'm curious to see if there's like a bunch of deleted scenes that were supposed to be in this movie. Or if they had no idea what they were talking about either. They might I, be out there somewhere, but there's honestly so little information about this movie online that I don't think we'll ever find them. I, I mean, I might get the DVD just to see what's on there. Yeah, yeah. Worst case scenario, I'll watch it in French. Find out how to say hi fucking yeah in French. Hi fucking yeah! 
Yeah. So, um, can Eddie... isolate that? <laughs> Hi, fucking yeah. I, I believe it's the next scene is my favorite where Eddie goes back to his bedroom where the girl is. Yeah. Well, see, this I this scene is great and it like kind of a domino effect causes all the other great scenes to follow. Um, so he he survives a murder attempt. Um, he goes home to Diane and continues to scream more, but in her face. Yeah. And it's gibberish. Like. It's not him trying to say words that you can't understand. It's literally like blah, 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 blah. he literally <laughs> is saying just gibberish at points. Yeah, like and at one point he like throws a tantrum on the bed. Like he yeah. jumps and starts pounding his fist on the bed, and uh, I don't know what's going on there exactly. But. And so that is when uh, Diane, very reasonably so, pulls a gun on him. <laughs> well, he. Uh, Eddie also sees the cigar on oh, the nightstand right, right. that is Lou's brand. So is Diane fucking Lou? Oh yeah. shit! Yeah, he sees the cigar, and like at this point, he's like too mad for it to make him any angrier anyway. So she's just like, "All right," pulls out her gap, and uh, let's work this out this way. And uh, she tells him to get the fuck out, mm-hmm. which again, reasonable. It is hilarious how like. Eddie like lunges at her with his arms out, and then as soon as she pulls the gun, his arms like go directly down. Yeah, like it. It's so animated that it's unreal. Yeah, it looks so freaking. Strange. Just goes completely limp. <laughs> when a gun gets pulled on me, I just kind of go dead weight anyway. So, oh, this is also when he shouts a lot. Am I a fucking retard, man? Yeah. What am I a fucking retard? <laughs> and this is when the audience all uh, simultaneously says yes. <laughs> Like, was he trying to act, like, slightly retarded? I, you know what? I can't tell. I mean, I guess that is how you win an Oscar, um, yeah. but didn't really work for him, so. How is this not nominated? It might have been. We, we'll have to look. Uh, <laughs> we'll have to. I, I didn't look at the accolades of this one. This is also, like, when he's arguing still in front of Diane, where he's like, Bleh, just sticking out his tongue a lot. Yeah, like, yeah, just, yeah. Uh, a whole lot oh of craziness. God. And it's such a good scene. It is. It's fantastic. It and is great. It, I, I, I think, think it's the only here. the only reason I take the strip club scene over this one is just because of the high fucking yeah. <laughs> the because, high fucking yeah is the best line ever. Yeah, like, I think that may be my favorite cage line up to this point. High fucking yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. After that, we cut over to Michael Bean's apartment, and he's sitting there learning the card trick that Cage had at the start of the film. Well. I'm pretty sure he's doing a different card trick. It's a, it's a certain order for magic tricks where it looks random, but if you know the pattern, you know every card in the oh, order. Yeah, he's trying to memorize the pattern, but he's fucking up. Yeah, so like he's like, oh, this must be how Eddie's doing it. Why he's figuring that out, I don't know. I, I think it's supposed to be some very overt, uh, Eddie is being replaced by Joey. Like, like they're just even so, though it was, it was pretty already clear after the whole cage tantrum up to this point that that is what's happening. Um, but I mean, like to become Lou's new muscle or go-to guy, I don't think you need to know a card trick. Yeah, that's but not. He a, convinces himself that that's like <laughs> the prerequisite. Yeah, maybe that's he's like, well, maybe this is why Eddie's around. He's always amazing Lou with these card tricks. So you have to he, get money. Up, you have to be able to be the muscle. You also have to know some magic tricks. 
Like that's that's a must. And Ooh, keep around a, a drug addicted psychopath if you can wow him with some card tricks. Best case scenario, when your life of crime doesn't pan out, you can become a magician named Frank Cadillac. So, oh so yeah, that's exactly the real foreshadowing here. So yeah, he's doesn't uh, Diane visit him? Yeah, also? Diane. Yeah. It's like she's in two places at once. It feels like. Well, this is apparently Eddie leaves. But then Diane leaves right after and goes to Jones like, oh, Eddie's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to try and kill Lou. You got to save him. And then he's like, all right, I'll be back. And then runs out and uh, she stays behind at his apartment, locks the door there. Yeah. Cut to Cage uh, in Lou's office, fucking losing his shit. Yeah. And, uh, he's threatening He's threatening him and he's being like, yeah, 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 come on with me. And then like, I'm behind your desk now. Who's <laughs> behind the desk? It's me. Yeah. <laughs> And then Lou's like, we're, we're about to make a whole ton of money together, Lou. Why are you doing this now? We might as well. Just please. Like, we'll make money. There's nothing bad. I'm not sleeping with Diane. And then, Pick a card. <laughs> Pick a card. Yeah. Pick a card. He's yelling incomprehensible gibberish as he's out in the market tying up Lou. Uh, and then <laughs> as Bean is rolling up on the scene, this is what he's yelling at Lou is, you want to fuck? You want to fuck? <laughs> we fuck now. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck that is. I don't know what he was doing there. Like, he had Lou in his office at gunpoint. So he takes him outside and ties him up? Yeah. In the I middle of the understand. open market? Yeah, because he wants the gunshot to ring out, you know? He wants people to be aware. Lou, dead. Eddie, like, did it. We fuck now. <laughs> we fuck now. He's, he's a performer, you know? He's, <laughs> he's not doing a magic trick. He, you gotta see him uh, executing somebody in the town square or whatever. And uh, Bean walks up on this whole situation, grabs... Does, does uh, an amazing dive. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Cage and Bean are fighting right over a deep fryer. Yeah. And, this, is, uh, this is my personal favorite scene. This here. is also, as he tackles him, when all the cards fall out, and you oh, realize yes. they're all jokers. Oh, yeah. Right. So uh, he was practicing that magic trick for nothing. Yeah. When you just have the deck of all jokers, you know every card. Exactly. Like, when I saw that, I was like, oh, that's pretty neat. Like, that's a fun little trick. I winked at my screen. Yeah. It it does make you think that, like, oh, he was just going for, like, the crazy, like, anything could happen, but really, he's in control. I think Mm. it was trying to say. Yeah. Nothing else in the movie says that, but... (laughs) There was no evidence that he was in control of any situation whatsoever. Uh, I don't know. Was he in control of his gyrations? I hope so. I mean... That's that's we got to cover uh, good vibrations and make it <laughs> national pleasures. Next track has got to be good gyrations <laughs> about Nicolas Cage in this movie. The crazy thing is uh, when he uh, popped those pills and started shaking around, that was just like Advil. Yeah. <laughs> I don't really know what effect that was having on him. But yeah, Cage is trying to deep fry Joe's head. So Joe rips off his hair and it reveals he's a, wearing a wig. Yeah. Yeah. Nice this, little touch in there. This was beautiful. They're struggling. They're kind of trying to grapple each other. And he removes Nicolas Cage's wig. And now this is like the final emasculation. Yeah. He, he's, he's like, oh, fuck. You took my job. You effed my B. And now you ripped off my hair. And you learned my card trick better. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you, you did the actual card trick. But like, was there really any reason for him to have been wearing a wig the whole time no no there was like also was it ever hinted at that it was a wig it was not um i 
either that they were just they're, they're just trying to like cover somebody's ass because the wig looks so bad the whole movie and they're like oh wait it is fake which is what they did with the beard um true but yeah there was no real reason for that to be it was just wasn't necessary it, it but, just seemed like out of nowhere that for some reason during this fight he's bald yeah, yeah i think i think it what it really served as is uh, uh an opportunity for uh joe to distract cage so he could flip him around and then dunk his head in the fryer oh that shit, was like Nick cage yeah um, you got a deep fried cage yeah mostly Cajun just his face style. <laughs> uh, fuck you uh, <laughs> And so I, my immediate thought was uh, not, oh, that killed him. I thought he was just going to look like a fucking melted man for the rest of the movie. But turns out you don't survive getting your face deep fried, mm-hmm. which I guess makes Who sense. Who would have guessed? Uh, yeah. Um, I was hoping to see his like eyeballs melt out or something. Uh, definitely look up a screenshot of uh, what uh, that looks deep like. Deep fried cage. Yeah. Deep fried cage. Um, and well, after that, Lou and Bean together dump Eddie's body. And uh, uh, Lou proposes that Bean replace Eddie, which, yeah, if that wasn't obvious that that was going to happen, it's, it's happening now. And uh, he's basically describes to him the con, and it's the same con that he pulled at the start of this movie when he accidentally shot his dad. Yes. So, and then Bean's all like, oh, I don't, I don't know if we can do this. Uh, okay, maybe. And then he runs off home and gets home, and Diane is pointing a gun at him for some reason, and then he gets all pissy. Which, like, he knew Diane was there. Yeah. And he acts so surprised that she's there when he returns. Like, Yeah, he just starts screaming at her. Yeah, yeah, I I didn't really get that whole thing. It's like, I I understand that he's upset, but uh, he's just like, you're pointing a gun at me, blah, 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 blah. And then she's, well, okay, it's not actual gibberish like that. That would have been what Cage would have said. But um, she's all like, I don't know, you could have been Eddie, and which is a reasonable thing. Like, uh, he was yeah. going around trying to kill everybody, and he's just like, whatever, you're, you're fucking, ah, I'm getting roped into this whole thing. I don't want to be here. I can't do that job because <laughs> reasons. And- yeah. It's like, it's pulled right out of my past. Nah. Um, and at this point here, I'm like, I'm calling it, Diane is definitely conning him. I wrote this down right here. Um, she's definitely working with someone to con Bean. Is this when he says, I love you to her? Yeah. Or is it the next scene? I, th- I think this is the one. But yeah, this is where they profess their love for one another. And, uh, and it's been like, like two days, right? Yeah. <laughs> I've known you for two days. I've screamed at you once now. And I love you. And you fucked on the first date. Oh, yeah. <laughs> while, I mean, while you were dating someone else. Well, now, keep in mind, they fucked really, really slow. We fucked so. up. <laughs> they, they, they had time to fall for each other. Yeah. But uh, Diane proposes, what if you finish the con, get the money, and then we run off and we just live on that money in this life? And Bean's like, all right, all right. And then we cut to Eddie, or not Eddie, I'm sorry, uh, Joey. Yeah, I wish Eddie, because once Eddie's gone, there's really not a whole lot left to this movie until, uh, hold on here, it, it'll be coming up soon. There's a man. <laughs> doctor if any of you can (laughs) guess what happens without seeing this movie you are clairvoyant because i had no idea this was happening i feel like they they killed cage's character and then they took like the script from another movie and just kind of slapped it on the end of it they're like oh shit we still have to go another half hour let's uh quickly do this who's a who's a couple more uh crazy characters we could throw in here well 
I don't know about clairvoyance because I the next scene, uh, Luce explains what the cake was. He's like, I made this little fake cake for your mom because I loved your mom and your dad loved y- your mom too. We both loved your mom. We both banged your mom, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> we both Eiffel Towered your fucking mom. Could have been either of our loads in there. And at that point, and I'm he, like, he even says like, you could be my son. He, at this point, yeah, your face wouldn't look any different because guess what? Me and your dad, same face. Yeah. And uh, the cake was just a, uh, I don't know, with that reveal of it, I was kind of like, okay, Lou's dad is involved in this too. Maybe he got killed by accident or something, but with the whole cake thing, this was planned to get Bean over there. And I thought maybe uh, Lou and uh, Bean's dad were working together to con his son. And I don't know. So it's not a We'll get on with it, but, um... That's not the part for clairvoyance. It's the guy they're conning. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Did not see that coming. I yeah. see. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of that man, his name is Dr. Lime, um, and he's, uh, he'll show up soon. We just hear his name at this point. He's like, the mark is Dr. Lime. You're gonna have to do this thing. How's your pool game? Bad. That's good. Okay. <laughs> But before we get to Dr. Lime, uh, we get Michael Bean uh, versus the real star of the movie. It's Bean versus Sheen. Yeah. Bean and the Sheen, man. The Bean Charlie Sheen. And the Sheen. Dressed like Hugh Hefner. Yeah, so uh, Michael Bean's in like a bar, and he's uh, throwing money down on a pool table. He throws like $1,000 down, and yeah. then Sheen walks up and is just like... Is this, is this per ball? Yeah. Is this per game or per point? Yeah. Oh yeah. Per point, he's a real pro. Yeah. Um. And yeah, like you said, he's he's kind of wearing the Hugh Hefner jacket. He's uh surprisingly less oily than Nicolas Cage was. He seems like a character that would be kind of oily. But he has the one long pinky. Nail. Oh right. Yeah. One long pinky nail because cocaine. And I think they end up playing classic billiards, not pool. I don't know the rules of the game, but it's the pocketless table where they just got to bounce around and hit the balls. Which was weird because I'm pretty sure. Uh, Joey puts his money down on a regular pool table. Yep, and then, and then like, all of a sudden, like, let's play on this one. Yeah, he's got a he's got a table like under a tarp. Yeah, he's like, check out this fucking table. <laughs> this is what we're doing. Sheen basically immediately scores up twenty four points in a twenty five point game, and then his assistant sneezes, distracting him. So Bean gets to go. He gets one point, and then Sheen wins. And yeah. he's like, you owe me $24,000, friend. My name's Morgan Fats Grip, which is... <laughs> is that really his name? Yeah, yeah, his name was Morgan Grip, but you can call me Fats. Just call him Fats. <laughs> uh, because he's suave like that. Um, yeah, I... So this is where my notes kind of start to trickle off, because... Uh, yeah. Well, this is when it goes off the rails, like, fully. Sheen's not really fitting in this role. He's looking kind of weird. And I believe uh, uh, Bean's like, look, uh, I, ha- I don't have the money, but I have this watch. Like, take a look at it. And he's like, I got a guy in the back who can identify if that's worth the money. So why don't you go back there? And they yeah. go back there. And then he says to himself, damn, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he is. During that whole pool thing, too, like, Charlie Sheen is just monologuing. Oh, like, yeah. Yeah. About how good he is at pool. Mm-hmm. And, Which you do when you're <laughs> good at pool. You talk about it while you're doing it. Yeah. You know? yeah. That's the key to pool sharking. <laughs> I just remember he's just like, geometry, ankles. <laughs> yeah, it's all geometry and angles. But 
that's a little bit of skill too. And <laughs> don't worry if we never see him again. <laughs> and at this point, I have to note: is everyone in this movie just a hammy over actor between Cage, Sheen, like Bean, even too? Yeah. Is sometimes hamming it up, Diane. And Coburn then, is uh, he's he really lays it on thick. Yeah. And uh, I, I get the answer to that in the next scene <laughs> as we are introduced to Dr. Lime. Asked and answered. Dr. Lime, the famous uh, Bond villain that never was. It's true. Jewel appraiser for some reason. Yeah. yeah. In addition to everything he does. And uh, he's... Half man, half machine. He looks just like Dr. Evil <laughs> with a giant mechanical arm with some hedge clippers at the end. Yeah, it looks like a fucking claw, basically. Like... Apparently, in this world, there are, is mechanical arm men. Yeah, that's a thing. And Bean he like, doesn't question it. Yeah, he's not surprised, like, at all. Feels like the type of character that we maybe could have gotten a glimpse of, like, early on in the movie. So you'd be like, who slash what is that thing? Yeah, what the fuck is um, going on here? But they just they just toss you right into the fucking ring with yeah. Dr. Lime. In, in the first shot, I saw you had the mechanical arm, and it's like, wait, is that a mechanical arm? And they cut away, and then his arm is, like, under the table. And I'm yeah. kind of like, I must have dreamt that up. That, that's no <laughs> way that's what it is. I must have seen something wrong. But then, then, like, Michael Bean puts out his hand to shake it, and Clawman... Puts his claw on it, and he's like, how do you know I'm not going to cut it off? And he's like, I don't. <laughs> There's also no reason for him to have scissor hands. Yeah, yeah it's fucking pointless. It's not helpful for his jewel appraising There's no payoff it, whatsoever. It doesn't no. help with Like, the you plot. don't see him, like, circumcise anybody or yeah, anything. Yeah, he doesn't use it to fight or anything. Yeah. Like, why do you have a claw arm? <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I kept looking at it, like, wondering, uh, one, if he was just, like, wearing something on his arm for some reason like like his character is like just trying to intimidate michael bean he's like oh yeah i got this fucking uh this claw that i'm wearing and i'm gonna i'm gonna poke you with it in the eye mm -hmm. um but that uh that that wasn't really the case i'm pretty sure um he probably uh went down um with the uh uss indianapolis maybe got his uh, a shark off. bit it off right um and so he he put that uh see the shark had a suit of armor inside of it and he just kind of reached in that's, that's gotta be it. I'm yeah. getting word here that uh, the actor who played Dr. Lime is named Angus Scrim. Yes, uh, he's <laughs> from the uh, the Phantasm series. What? What? Oh, he's that, been in other things. That is that guy. Yeah. Um, oh shit. He is uh, the tall man from the Phantasm series. Um, I have no idea what the Phantasm series even even is. You should watch it. You it's should. Like... You should watch. Okay, watch Phantasm and then watch. Beastmaster and Beastmaster 2 okay. by the same director <laughs> because they're fucking insane and they're great. They're, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. I'll um, try and check it out. Good old Angus Scrim. Um, Unfortunately, Nicolas Cage is not in any of those movies. No, yeah. He should well, be. They won't be brought up here in the... Well, we won't be watching them for the podcast. They might be brought up because... Staying on topic isn't always our strong suit. But. Extra credit for the listeners. Watch every, uh, I think his name is like Don Cassiarelli movie. Uh, <laughs> he also wrote a book about uh, all the Phantasm movies that's uh, worth a read if you can read. So uh, at this point I have noted, what in the hell is going on? <laughs> there, I, I couldn't tell what movie I was watching anymore. Yeah, like, I thought this was a serious movie and then fucking Dr. Evil with a mechanical arm shows up. Wait, and, like, so he goes to that back room to be like, oh, this watch is super valuable. But yeah. instead, he's like, actually, I have these diamonds. Yeah. I don't like, know why I didn't oh, bring yeah, that. Oh, yeah. I completely forgot about that, actually. 
But he's like, oh. look, it's going to be $9 million worth of diamonds. You just got to pay $2 million for them. And look at that. Good deal, right? And he's like, let me look at these diamonds. So he basically is, uh, Bean is just like, oh, I tricked my way into this room with a super expensive watch. But here's the real loot. Pops the diamonds out of his pocket. Um, and yeah, I, at, at this point, I just, I was kind of halfway super, super invested in what was happening because I was like, what is happening? But also wasn't sure what movie I was watching anymore. Yeah. Um, I, the, I felt at this point, the tone totally shifted. Yeah, I thought, yeah. I thought, like, is this like a parody now? I thought this was a serious movie and Nicolas Cage was just acting weird in it. But now that we have fucking Dr. Lime, it's, uh, it's taken on a whole new tone here. Yeah, I, I just, I, I feel like we really would have benefited from having, like, an early shot of Dr. Lime, like, holding up a ring in his claw and, like, looking at it. And, <laughs> uh, just so we could be, like... Yeah, maybe he could have been in the cafe with... Uh, when he was looking for Lou and stuff, I yeah, don't know, just a little foreshadowing to the mechanical arm man. Right, give us give us a life vest so when we're uh, tossed into this scene, we're not completely drowning. Yeah, uh, and because it, it kind of it felt like um, the writers of this movie were like, okay, we got this super cool idea for a character. Don't know what we're gonna put him in or why, but we're making this fucking zany bonkers uh, wacky movie called Deadfall, and it would be pretty cool. If um, after Cage got uh, his screen time out of screen time out of the way, um, we threw in uh, this old man with a claw. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they were just like Edward Scissorhands was a really cool movie. What if we made that guy a villain? Yeah. What if Edward Scissorhands was a Bond villain? Yeah. <laughs> Did you see how much money that movie made, and how also his scissors weren't even gold? We just slapped some gold paint on there. We're making bang. Hell yeah. He looks way more baller than edward scissorhands <laughs> edward scissorhands looks like a real beta cook <laughs> we move on to the um the deal the con that's going to go down and uh the way lou is dressed uh we're watching a bond villain with crazy-eyed henchmen make a deal for diamonds with a cowboy ah yes and uh the thing goes off as planned kind of like bean walks up well they have a long standoff saying like you don't get to look at all these diamonds. If you want to look at all the diamonds, then the deal's off. No money. It's a lot of like, show me the money, show me the diamonds. No, you show me the money. No, you show me the diamonds. It's like, all right, just, nobody just, gets no money, nobody gets no diamonds. Yeah, like, it's, it's, like, it's tough because diamonds aren't like cocaine where you can just take a handful and throw them up your nose. Yeah, you know, you don't see angels from the diamonds. Right. <laughs> Actually, if you look through the diamond, who knows? What Kaleidoscope. Angels. Exactly. Yeah. That's but, how you know it's a real diamond if you look through it and you see angels. So, uh, he goes up and he does the thing, he's like, he's wearing a wire, shoot him, and he pulls out the gun, and he's, like, hesitating because of the thing with his dad, where he was like, right. oh, are there blanks in this? I don't he know, did. I don't know, and one of Dr. Lime's henchmen's just, henchmen's, uh, just... Hench people? Yeah, <laughs> hench people. Whips out a gun and shoots Lou dead right there, immediately. Uh, Big so, gunfight yeah. ensues. The people jump out, they're like, we're FBI! Yeah. Like, they go out of their way to say that for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> and now we're uh, finally on the same page as Michael Bean because both the audience and the character are thinking, uh, haven't I, hasn't this happened before? Have I seen this? <laughs> Have we been here? Yeah, and Bean runs off with the diamonds and the money, just gets out of the gunfight, and he sees uh, his mom standing there and just runs off after her. Or his mom in the all black, like the same funeral yeah. get up the, with the The one hair. outfit they got for her. <laughs> 
chases after her, catches up, and it's Diane, and she's like, dun, dun, dun. Duh. and she says she's so sorry, and I'm like, I fucking called it. I fucking called it. <laughs> <laughs> she's so sorry because uh, he didn't know that she's his mom, and he's been <laughs> fucking her this whole time. Yeah, yeah that's exactly what I called. But um, his name was Joe Oedipus, whatever his last name is. Uh, Joe um, Freudian Slip. <laughs> That's my contribution. But yeah, then uh, Joey's dad steps on out and Mike's like, yeah, I set this whole thing up here and you couldn't know about it or the con wouldn't have worked. Joey's dad and also like the guy who guilted him into like yeah. killing his dad and like all like, these other should have checked players. the chamber man. you should have checked the fucking chamber because you would have found a note in there that said you're fucking stupid <laughs> yeah this is the point where his dad is like hey look at we made all this money like uh and he's like handed out money to all the like key players mm -hmm. and it's finally just like him and joe and he's like hey i'm not dead we can split this money we're gonna split the rest here it's so good right and then joe is like no and pulls out a gun and turns on a merry-go-round that's there for some ah, reason. Yes. Yeah, they're at a carousel somehow. Yeah, I don't like, know where like, that came from. Where was this job taking place? <laughs> no fucking. If they do it in an, a kid's amusement park for yeah. some reason. Yeah, it's one of those uh, cons at a carnival. <laughs> oh, the uh, classic con yeah. at a carnival. I mean, that. Where else are you gonna meet where the cops aren't just hanging out all the time? Yeah, this is when Joe is like, oh, is he pulls the gun on his dad. He's like, is, is it blanks or is it real? Is it blanks or is it real? And like, they just start like yelling mm -hmm. and he fires the gun and it, it's blanks. Yeah. Uh, he he makes... fires the gun and it turns out the bullet was a Joker card. <laughs> <laughs> Joker's wild. And uh, the blank firing makes uh, Mike drop the money or drop the briefcase it splits open and money spills everywhere and he's like no i gotta pick all this up i gotta pick all this up yeah and then this is like two million dollars <laughs> yeah and, and they counted on screen uh bean walks away being like and that's when i decided to stop counting people because i want to be an honest person and it's like okay and, and credits <laughs> yeah roll credits which it's, so it, it has a good moral to it what's the is, moral um you be honest <laughs> i don't know don't lie check yeah. the but chamber his, but his dad lied and yeah, cheated check the chamber and a good faked one. his own death to his son and walked away with two million dollars mm -hmm. yeah and no bad things he killed his, he got his brother killed uh estranged his son makes a bunch of money but bean's a good guy that's is the he point. that's what's important uh, no <laughs> but, but like too like joe could have like got a portion of that money like, even though he didn't, like, know he was in the job or whatever, he, like, he was offered a bunch of money, mm -hmm. and he's just like, millions of dollars? No thanks. See ya. Yeah. I'm gonna leave, even though I could have done this with the money, I'm gonna yeah, do it without the money. He could have walked away with all the money. Yeah, he really could have. When he dropped the briefcase, he could have just ran up and, like, snatched all that money, tossed it in the briefcase, and ran away. Yeah. Mm. I, I don't understand why this movie was made. What was the plan from the get-go for this? Was, like, okay, I'm going to fake my death. Then I'm going to hire this lady who kind of looks like my wife to pretend to be a ghost slash illusion. Mm -hmm. And then go down to where my brother is, sleep with my son, but then pretend to be that illusion lady again. Yeah. So that he runs away with a bunch of diamonds and money and we get to keep it all. Hey. But, 
Like, that seems like such a convoluted plan for this. Why couldn't Joe know about this? Yeah, why couldn't he have known in the first place? They didn't even have to run the first con. Like well, They could have <laughs> just faked his death, Joe still go down there, everything is the same, he just says his dad is dead instead of thinking his dad is dead. Mm-hmm. Like, this was all a ruse to get Joe laid. And it worked. He just had to be thinking about his mom. Yeah. <laughs> like, even a fucking ghost. Like, you go to a movie, and at the end of it, you get an idea of, like, oh, this is the message of that movie. What, like, this is the story they're trying to tell. I have no idea what this movie was trying to tell me. Oh, yeah. Like, really nothing at all. Conning I think that what they were works. trying to, Yeah, conning works. Um, we're kind of artsy and made a, a cool movie. Like, look at me. My uncle directed The Godfather and gave <laughs> me a bunch of money to make this movie. So now, <laughs> here we are. This is just as good of a crime movie as The Godfather. Oh, yeah, uh, it's up there. See, it tells twice the story in half the time, which is what's really important here. Um, and did The Godfather have a mechanical scissor arm guy? No. Absolutely not. And I and think it would have really benefited from that if Al Pacino had to work with a mechanical scissor arm. Yeah, I think been... I think Marlon Brando would still be alive. Oh, if, yeah. Uh, they had just strapped a movie. Him. Whole <laughs> different movie. But yeah. Uh, final thought. Well, overall thoughts on this film. We'll have final thoughts in the head to head matchup. Yeah. But um, I'm going to say, as much as I would like to recommend this movie for the craziness that is like Dr. Lime and things that happen afterwards, really the only reasons to watch this are a couple of scenes that you could probably look up on YouTube. Most of them where Cage is in. Give a good watch to those. Although he doesn't get enough screen time, in my opinion. And then uh, look up Dr. Lime introduction, which is L-Y-M-E, according to the IMDb thing. Yeah. And uh, just look at that mechanical arm there. And, it uh, would be ridiculous to spell it like the fruit. Yeah, that, that <laughs> oh, would be too fucking weird. We don't want to, you know, completely sound crazy here. <laughs> um, I won't lie, though. I did think this movie was kind of fucking rad. And... Uh, that's the tea, my friend. Um, it was um, insane. It didn't. It was probably the least coherent of all the the movies that we've watched so far. Yeah. Um, but it was a lot of fun. It uh, it kept me guessing. Yeah, I certainly uh, had a good time watching it. I'll say that. I mean, even though there were parts where I was like, "Holy shit!" Like, please do something else. But, I have yeah. a similar thing on it where, like, this is a bad movie. But it entertained me. Like, yeah. As if I was watching a comedy, but it is not a comedy. <laughs> and I, I don't really know, like, the extent of the cult following for this this movie, but, uh, you know, it, it doesn't surprise me that um, there is some dark corner of the world where uh, people just love this movie and fucking quote it endlessly. Um, high fucking yeah. High fucking yeah. High fucking yeah. I, I had a lot of fun with it. I had a good time, mostly. I mean, I don't know how many times I would watch this again unless I've got other... I've, unless I have more drinks, then I'll probably give a good watch to this. I think but, the most I would do is show people clips of Nicolas Cage, yeah. and that's probably all you need to see. I won't lie, I could see myself rewatching this just for fun, because uh, <laughs> there's a lot going on, and uh, I feel like there's, there's too much to unpack in just one viewing. Hmm. Yeah, I... I I bet you could find a bunch more subtleties that they were maybe sneaking in there. But is it worth the subtleties of rewatching and doing a deep dive on 
Dreadfall. Yeah. I'm gonna say hi fucking yeah. <laughs> hi fucking yeah. Hi fucking yeah. And on uh, on that note, I think we are wrapping up on Deadfall. We're gonna take a short break, and then we'll be back to you with the USS Indianapolis Men of Courage. Stay tuned. That is my favorite song. It's it's insanely catchy. I think National Pleasure really did a good number with that one. I am hashtag living for this. And this is the song. Hashtag living for it. Um well we'll uh we'll be keeping in with um National Pleasure more as they progress with their career, get a few more things recorded. They're really into I mean they write mostly cage themed songs. Yeah. Or like cage movie themed songs. So they um as they get more songs, they'd like to have us premiere them on here a couple of times, so we, m- we might have more of that in the future. Fun I'm just fact. really impressed that you were you able know, to... You know, Purvis just them. texted me, the bass player, Rump Roast. Oh, yeah? What did he say? Hey. Wow. That's fucking... Got pretty it. impressive. Respond with a K. <laughs> I hear they're against cage-free eggs. Uh, just send him a dick pic. Yeah. I think that's what he wants. Are they against cage-free eggs? I might. They want the cage and everything. They, the, oh, yeah. they want caged bird <laughs> eggs. I mean, that's fine. I feel like the thing with birds is they don't really have, like, personality or feelings. I don't trust anybody who owns one. So. Yeah, even Charlie Parker, bird. No personality, no feelings. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, going, going on. USS Indianapolis, Men of Courage is the film we're on here. Now, this one has an R rating. Well, I guess Deadfall did too. So tuck the kids in for this one. And uh, came out in the year 2016. Uh, You wouldn't know it from the CGI, though. But uh, (laughs) director Mario Van Peebles, who I had never heard of, but that name was hilarious to me. So I had to look up what he was doing. And it looks like he's mostly a TV director. He hasn't done a whole lot of movies. He's done a lot of TV shows, but did this. I think that... that Adds a lot of context to this movie, honestly. It yeah. does kind of feel like a fucking two-hour procedural piece of nonsense. Mm-hmm. No spoilers. <laughs> uh, the production companies for this were USS Indianapolis Productions. So, sounds a little bit like they founded a company just to make this movie. Uh, Hannibal Classics. It was distributed by Patriot Films. Um, Hell yeah. Yeah. Runtime of 130 minutes, budget of $40 million, and it grossed $1.6 million at the box office. But I don't think it's fair to say that because I looked this up and it never got a wide theatrical release. Ah. It, uh, it was available for like a weekend, on Veterans Day weekend. That uh, makes sense. In theaters, and then, then it was just all streaming online. So That's good for a long weekend, though. Yeah. Yeah, pretty good for a weekend. See, all, all the, the true patriots came out to see it. Like you and me and Zach, we all went out. We were... uh. In our American flag tuxedos. Yeah. yeah. We all went to see the screening a long time back, and I'm actually going off a of memory from that. But Yeah. I, I know, remember, I was standing with a salute the entire time. Oh, yeah. You had to keep saluting the cage man for... I think you he only... You would... Killed himself for our country. But. Yeah. You only put your uh, salute down uh, to reload your weapon, because um, we were just kind of like 21 gun saluting. Uh, oh, yeah. The but constantly, time. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Repeatedly, yeah. Um, and this was um, this it was, was actually like twenty one thousand gun salute. Yeah, 
And this was post Dark Knight Rises, so people were pretty <laughs> uneasy for the most part. And it was uh, in Aurora, Colorado. <laughs> so <laughs> we did we did watch this uh, premiere Veterans Day weekend, Aurora, Colorado. That does make sense. Why we kept getting asked to leave? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That's true. But uh, as far as reviews go on Rotten Tomatoes, this has got a seventeen percent on the tomato meter, a thirty percent audience rating. Uh, Metacritic gives it a 30 out of 100 up based on 8 reviews and a 3.4 user rating. So these are all pretty consistent. I mean, I guess the critics on Rotten Tomatoes were about half as nice as the Metacritic critics, but audiences are staunchly sitting at around a solid 3 out of 10, essentially. And um, kind of describes my feelings about this movie a little bit. But, uh, 3 out of 10. <laughs> I think this movie's in a weird spot just by being a, like a real historical event yeah where the event itself i find very interesting yeah. and should definitely learn more about and read about it's yeah one hell of a read it's a cool thing you should watch like a documentary or something or just read something online but this movie uh it's a bit of a fucking slog to get through it's uh yeah this is like you said it's it's a very interesting uh scenario that these uh gentlemen found themselves in but uh the screenwriters found a way to make it um completely uninteresting so who would have guessed killer sharks would be uninteresting yeah exactly how do you i don't know how they fucked that up yeah some notes here cinematography is by andres sakula which i was like whatever but then i found out that man did reservoir dogs pulp fiction and american psycho oh nice. and wow. cube 2 hypercube so you it's know his resume hypercube oh i love that movie it all kind of fell apart after that, evidently, because he's working on this movie now. But uh, it was filmed on board the USS Alabama in Mobile, Alabama. The first lie that this movie tells. <laughs> and also uh, in Stockton, California. Oh, the screenplay is largely based on the book In Harm's Way by Doug Stanton. Uh, here's a real fun fact. Top review on IMDb is titled, quote, like an old man's penis without Viagra. I'm... I was kind of in a time crunch, so that's all I could write at the time. But I felt it summed it up pretty well. Um, well, Cage's co-star in this movie, Thomas Jane, uh, they were both married to Patricia Arquette at one point. Little fun fact that has Same no time? relevance on the film. No, they were. Uh, there's actually a scene in the movie where um, Patricia Arquette uh, kind of walks in, and uh, the two of them pull on her arms. Uh, and try to rip her in half. <laughs> wow. Um, doesn't work, though. It was Cage was married to her from 95 to 01. Uh, Thomas Jane was married to her from 06 to 11. So at this point, they'd both been out of the relationship for at least five years. And uh, maybe they were bonding like, what? Uh, nice every, lady. <laughs> <laughs> every time the cameras were off, they were like, so you know how she would do that thing? No. Uh, Here's another one, a quote I found. The U.S. Navy helped with the completion and finalization of the last draft of the script. So, um, and you can kind of tell because it gets a little uh, propaganda-y at times. It's, it, it's, it's, it's a little blatant. Yeah. Borderline blatant. Um, but, uh, the Navy is just full of camaraderie. and Oh, yeah, just together. totally all good camaraderie. Mm, and all yeah. the bad decisions that the Navy made can be placed on one man who was oh, in no. a tower and... <laughs> Ignored an order, but um, yeah, I blame the Japanese. <laughs> so 
Look, we're going to be honest here, guys. This movie did not have nearly as many interesting things going on it as Deadfall, so our plot summary here is going to be a little bit shorter, I think. There's not a ton to talk about. The movie was two hours long, um, and... And yet was... I feel like less happened than happened in Deadfall. <laughs> Truly, the but... Deadfall really packed it all in, in 90 minutes, and uh, this was it was trying to uh, draw out something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know what it was. What story it was trying to tell me outside of uh, these guys got eaten by sharks. I think that was the takeaway: is that the ocean is scary. Yeah. It is fucking ocean dangerous out there. Nature, are you scary? Exactly. If you're thinking of uh, taking a cruise this summer, and uh, we're not doing the Tom Cruise podcast. That's uh, yeah. He's weird. right. No, you're fucking stop. Stop. Wait. There's no Tom Cruise mentions. Aside from that time I mentioned him last episode. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we we have a we've signed an NDA. We're not going to talk about that right now. Yeah, but we don't want the Church plan, of Scientology on our ass. If you do plan on spending any of this summer floating in the ocean, think again. That's really the big takeaway from this: is uh, sharks will jump out of the water and eat you off the side of a raft while you're sitting there doing nothing. Head first. Yeah, head first. Head that was a great first. shot of the guy who was like looking into the water and then his shark comes out and bites his head and pulls him in. I love that. Yeah. Not joking for the record there. That that yeah. happened. And there's some uh, great ADR uh, in that scene also where the shark kind of uh, yells, gotcha bitch, uh, <laughs> as he jumps out of the water. Anyways, getting on with the plot summary here. We open on uh, a group of Japanese airplanes, the Zeros, at the Battle of Okinawa in 1945. For the person who doesn't know their history, this was one of the last battles fought between the U.S. and Japan before, basically, the U.S. had gotten all the way to mainland Japan and there wasn't anywhere to go except for invading uh, the island itself. And um, we see Cage giving orders to fire. It's kind of clear that he's the captain. We get really bad CGI planes bursting into flames and twirling around like a... I know I said that Next in the last episode had some bad CGI, but this was made almost 10 years later, and the CGI is even worse. Yeah. Uh, um, what, what was the budget on this one again? Uh, $40 million. Mm, okay. So, one plane crashes into the bow of the ship, but they all make it, and we get a cut where they're all, all the sailors are on leave, and they're repairing the ship at a home port in, I believe, San Francisco. And... Um, while they're there, the sailors are all going out, doing their things, and, uh, what's his face? An admiral in the Navy, who I don't remember what the name of the admiral was, comes up to Nicholas Cage, who's playing Captain Mc... McVeigh? McVeigh, yeah. And he proposes to him a mission to escort a top-secret cargo that he will be not told what it is. And, uh, it's it's uranium for the atomic bomb. He immediately asked, "Is this has anything to do with the Manhattan Project?" Yeah, which seemed a little out of place. How, why would this one guy know about a top secret project that sh- no one should have known about? Yeah. <laughs> but um, he's a good captain. He knows exactly what's going on behind every door. Yeah, this is the point of the movie where I thought I did not know what the USS Indianapolis was before going into this film, and I was like, "Oh, they're gonna transport nuclear bomb parts like." That's going to be the exciting thing in this movie. Oh, yeah. No, that's not it. Nope. <laughs> that's, Little did just, you know about all the sharks. We're just dipping our toes in right now. I thought a nuke was dangerous. Sharks. Yeah. Ugh. Well, imagine the, if they had dropped a bunch of sharks on Hiroshima. Yeah, well, see, during that's the Cold War, 
During during the Cold War, there was all that nuclear proliferation that was going on between the United States and the Soviet Union, but they both made a non-proliferation agreement about sharks, and that's not often talked about. People are uh, always worrying about, like, nukes ending the world, but the real thing, if the two superpowers were using sharks, shit would have gotten really the end. Yeah. And I think that's part of the training now, is they make you wade in water with sharks, Uh, and if you can't survive that, then you can't join the Navy. I uh, okay. did find out, though, doing some research about this actual event, the amount of uranium that they had to transport was half the world's supply at that point. Yeah, I would read that. Um, I read that same thing, which was kind of cool. Which is uh, kind of why the sharks were following them so intensely. They Sharks smell blood and uranium. Yeah, and they had planned to, uh, you know, perform a heist uh, to get this uranium. Yeah, And, and they were uh, going to build the first nuke. Yep, they were going to build the first nuke to kill the, uh, they call them land breathers in this movie. I didn't really care for the that. The gillless? But... Yeah. That's more of a racial slur. <laughs> but yeah, uh, then we get a shot of Cage talking directly into the camera, and I'm like really confused by it because his lips are actually moving, and apparently he's writing a letter. Um, I just wanted to point that out because I thought it was just weird. Usually when someone's writing a letter, it'll be a voiceover, and he's not literally staring at the camera <laughs> yeah. talking, saying what's in the letter. <laughs> At first, I thought he was like dictating this letter to somebody, but yeah. then he's like, he rips it off and like hands it to. Yeah, somebody. like he rips off a note and like crinkles it up and then starts again and then hands another one. And it's, yeah. Then we cut to two cadets showing up at a house. And just for the record here, I'm going to say it I don't know any of the actors and I don't remember the names of any of the characters in this film because most of them got at most like 20 minutes of screen time total in the whole movie. And we were just kind of expected to know who they were. And these two sailors look so freaking similar that I could only tell them apart by their voices. And I didn't know which one was which most of the time. Yeah, they're just kind of white guys for the most part. There's, yeah. there's Nicolas Cage, there's Tom Sizemore, and then there's white guys. Yeah. Uh, two cadets are showing up at a house in a room full of business bag- magnets. And one of them says, like, ah, we're so proud of you, boys. War is good for business, and business is good for America. And they're like, oh, God, no, we don't have... We don't have any kids in the war. No, no, no. My kid owns steel stock, which you boys are contributing to the rise in. So he's just saying there, like, hey, I'm profiting off of your death. <laughs> um, yeah, and the two, and that kid who's at the, in the Navy is just like, cool. Yeah, thank hey. you, gentlemen. <laughs> uh, now the cadets are dancing in a ballroom to some big band music with a few girls. There's a deep stare down between one cadet, who I believe is named... Mike, again, this is weird, but... Um, I'm pretty sure they were, like, the main focus of the side plots. Yeah. Uh, yeah, which, uh, for uh, anyone who's not completely invested in this movie, good time to tune out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> for the next hour and a half of this two-hour movie, nothing exciting happens. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I feel like if they would have gone more of a like survival kind of movie like a castaway like thing where yeah. they focus on spoilers the ship sinks mm-hmm. uh and like them surviving on the ocean i right. think that would have been a lot more interesting than here's a bunch of character development for characters who die instantly yeah yeah characters who die or stories that go nowhere there's no resolution to the story like literally it, it'll just have like a story and then just be nothing and I, I think we all understand like yes this is a real life thing those are real people but for a movie yeah, not for, as interesting. Yeah, for a movie like uh, ideally, like take out all that extracurricular shit. Uh, kind of try to make the viewer feel like they're trapped in the ocean. You know, like uh, make it uh, 
like you said, a survival movie. You want to feel terrified. Let's make this a horror movie. Yeah. I I think Anything I would have had a lot more enjoyment if it was more... Like a thriller or something. Yeah. The bad guy is the sharks, not... Exactly. Nothing. <sighs> right. But I think uh, either way, we can agree the good guy is the United States and our wonderful government. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the movie seems to... Who had nothing had at fault for any of these events. Yeah, no, no, that's true. Well, I mean, their one fault was that they made this poor man get court-martialed. But other than that... Twice! Like, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Everything they, else. Or... The, the, really, the only thing that they did wrong was work too hard to do their job. Well, yeah. Um, so afterwards, we cut between the two cadets who I believe are named Mike and Brian. Mike tells that, that Brian that that uh, blonde lady that he was dancing with, he plans on uh, proposing to her before he leaves. And they're all at like a big ballroom dance dinner thing. He sits down and then we cut to outside and he's like storming out because apparently her parents offended him because they they're th- all hoity toity. I think it was. They were dating for like a few months at this point, and mm-hmm. she never told her parents. So oh, when yeah. he came over and was like, hey, I want to propose, they were like, who the hell are you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, well, I, I think it was also supposed to be that he's like poor and their family's yeah. like really rich. And they're like, you're not marrying this little poor boy. You're going to marry that boy down the street who owns stock and steel. We're he's, profiting big time off that right now. Look how much steel he's wearing. <laughs> he's dripping in it. Yeah, while that's happening, he's uh, about to propose to her, but then a fight breaks out, a racist fight between uh, a black sailor and a white sailor who are, like, yelling at each other. It turns into, like, there's a big commotion, everyone's standing around it, betting on it, apparently, because... It's the classic, fight, 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 fight. Exactly. See the theme song. (laughs) Can we get um, that back? Um... In the commotion, Mike's engagement ring ends up falling out of his pocket and falls on the ground, and we see some other, just a hand reach down and pick it up, and we don't know who picked it up. But, spoiler alert, it'll happen later, and it's a guy whose name I don't know. I know him as Glasses Guy. But, uh, <laughs> the Weasley uh, Guy, yeah. <laughs> He's actually a ghost. Um, uh, so, like, he was about to propose to her and realizes the ring's not in his pocket, and he's, like, freaking out, but the sailors are like, hold on, we gotta go, we're shipping out, we're shipping out, and they're just like, I love you, I love you, and then they run away, and bam, they're on a ship. Yeah, and he can't propose, so he's just like, you wanna fuck? Are we fucking? <laughs> Whatever? Yeah. We fuck now! We, we fuck now. <laughs> yeah, we cut to the ship where we see the cage man himself again, giving a speech about how they must all function as a complete unit, a well-oiled machine. I'm nothing without you, you're nothing without me. Uh, they explain that the ship doesn't have any escorts to detect submarines, and that the battleship can do pretty well on its own against aircraft, but not subs. Especially these new things called kaitens, which are manned Japanese p- torpedoes, where a guy will actually sit in the torpedo and pilot in- into the ship, effectively doing like a, a kamikaze torpedo instead of a kamikaze airplane. And they make it very clear at this point, too, that... The way to get uh, uh, dodge torpedoes was to do this zigzag maneuver mm-hmm. so that they would shoot a torpedo, you'd zig, and it would pass you, then you zag, and the next tor- tor- torpedo misses, misses you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then Nicolas Cage says, like, that doesn't work against the Chitons, cause yeah, because they're they can, pilots. Yeah, they can be piloted and redirected there. And, um, I feel like this movie really should have been called uh, Remember the Chitons. <laughs> I don't think we want to remember them, though. No. We do. (laughs) Japanese Navy movie. That's what we need. We need some Japanese propaganda in this bitch. Oh, yeah. 
Sorry to derail. If you want Japanese Navy propaganda, the Mongolians tried to invade Japan, and a freak tsunami took out their entire fleet. So the Mongolians were like, we're going to build up again, we're going to wait eight years, and we're going to send our fleet out again and get them, and another freak tsunami took out their entire fleet. Yep. And so, remember the Titans. Yeah. <laughs> uh, at this point, we kind of cut into uh, a Japanese sub with a crewman there, like, talking to his dad, kind of. But his dad's not actually there. He's like talking in his head, just yeah. having a conversation. And um, they're like, arm the chitons. And they shoot a chiton and a guy gets in it and it's built up very much and it misses. And it turns out it was a merchant ship. It wasn't the USS Indianapolis. Um, yeah. But I, and, I did like that we uh, got that perspective, though. Yeah. It was a nice little thing to throw in there and see. Because uh, for one, it made the little payoff at the end of it better because you actually have seen this guy the whole time and yeah. you see that he he doesn't want to use chitons because a crewman has to sacrifice his life and it can end up like that where they just used it for no reason and he he just ended up dying somewhere out in the ocean alone drowning yeah. or whatever he wants to forget the chitons yeah <laughs> he doesn't want to remember him it's time to forget i think it was a nice addition to where a lot of world war ii films really like dehumanize the axis powers not to defend the axis powers they're mm -hmm. little things that went on mm. but like it's good to remember that those are people too yeah like not every they, individual soldier was in, in you know an evil, was adolf hitler yeah, yeah. and or, like you know hitler had feelings too you know yeah. he had thoughts and desires and you know i heard he loved his pet dog he, exactly exactly he couldn't have been that bad but um we then cut to the black crewman on the ship who in case you didn't know, at this time in U.S. history, the military was not yet integrated. Uh, it was segregated, and the only black crewmen on most Navy vessels were uh, servants to the captains. Or they'd just get food, they'd do whatever the captain or the, the higher-up crew wanted. So they're showing up there, the black crewmen, they're spitting in the captain's pie because they don't much care for him at this point. Oh, yeah. And they and put they put hot sauce in, the, yeah, they in put, his coffee. Yeah, hot sauce in the tea for one of the other... Oh, yeah. For the Crimson. asshole, like, yeah, the, second the one who's literally his entire personality trait is that he is an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> and he calls them racial slurs after he receives his tea promptly. We, and get, a, we get a great shot of uh, Nicolas Cage eating the pie, and he's like, What do you put in this pie? And they're like, Spit. We put spit. <laughs> Fucking pie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, we cut and see the, the glasses man has the mic's ring, and he's just like looking at it all like fancy. Then um, uh, we see a bunch of crewmen talking about sharks, which is the first of very, very, very many times that sharks will be brought up before they are eating people. Because they really want to foreshadow that for you, in yeah, case you didn't they, know. Nature's is scary. <laughs> there's no subtlety whatsoever. They're like, hey, uh, you know, we're going out on this, this boat here. Um, you know what's crazy? There's like, that, there's like water beneath us, and like in that water, it's like some crazy fucking sharp tooth yeah, the mean boys out there he's like if the japs get us then we're gonna go overboard and i'll tell you what's a lot more dangerous than the japs when we're overboard it's them sharks and he looks directly down the lens of the cameras there's fucking sharks in these waters <laughs> and you know what there fucking was and, there was uh, at least two sharks yeah there were there are at least two maybe even like five thousand <laughs> sharks in this movie i think I, I don't know, like, the majority of the movie, there was a shark somewhere, even if it wasn't eating someone, it was just there. And um, nothing makes sharks hungrier than uh, American soldiers. Yeah. So, 
And uh, after they're done having a, a chat about sharks, they've got a little bird in a cage. And he goes like, oh, this is a dove of peace. This is a good luck charm. And then one of them's like, hey, my dad raises pigeons. That's That ain't no dove. That's a pigeon. And then they're like, oh. And it just cuts away from that. So I guess the good luck charm is not so lucky. Um, uh, but we're led to believe that they have stock in pigeons. <laughs> then we cut to we're at the Mariana Islands. They dropped off their cargo. Cage is like, okay, we dropped off our cargo. Can we get an escort now for the return journey since there's no reason to be secretive anymore? And it's like, you can't have an escort. You were never here. And then just walks away. That's the end of it. And then he's like, all right, fine. We don't have escorts. Um, but then uh, Diane from Deadfall walks in. <laughs> and uh, it, as uh, that scene fades out, what we, are, we are shot. It is Nicolas Cage is standing there. And it's being filmed through the jaws of a shark. Like a sh somebody had a shark jaw bone hung up on the wall. Yeah. Because it was a naval base and I guess they caught a shark. And it's like, okay, more shark sh foreshadowing. It's uh, it's kind of like the elephants in Bangkok Dangerous. Yeah, and it was, it was the same thing. There, I was thinking the entire time there might be sharks later on in this movie. <laughs> I, I'm starting to think that this might be a shark movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I'm, it's getting close there. I, I'm getting some hints. By but, the way, this is like hour and 15 minutes in the movie i think yeah, yeah. it's at least 45 minutes in. and uh, a lot of the like guys on the ship they they'll just yell out random stuff like uh yeah i'm, uh, I'm chewing over here with my jaws <laughs> then they're in a shower again and uh and while they're in the shower somebody walks up with a national geographic with the spread of a shark like I, <laughs> and just shows it to them and they're talking about sharks again and i'm like whatever all of a sudden, we cut to the Japanese sub, and they have spotted the Indianapolis and launched two torpedoes, both of which hit, and the Indianapolis starts going down, like, random explosions happen. There's uh, a couple guys on fire running around. Oh, yeah. There's a guy with a really bad CGI arm on fire where he just stands still for, like, five seconds <laughs> with his arm, arm in the air, and there's just really bad fake flames over that, and it's got this... um. Well, this 80-yard scream over the top of it, that doesn't sound right. It's really hard to animate over moving objects, so <laughs> if you guys can just hold still while you're acting, Yeah, just hold still, scream, look at my arm, it's on fire. I hope there's not a shark coming. My arm is on fire, I need a shark to suck it off. <laughs> suck off the flames. Yeah. So they send out uh, an SOS, and it's at a Philippine naval base, it's picked up. A Navy officer is like... That could just be a Japanese ruse trying to lure us out there so they can sink us. Don't yeah. do anything until you get exact coordinates. So they ignore the SOS. Um, Cage orders them to abandon ship. Uh, as they're running around, a National Geographic magazine with a picture of a shark is on the floor of the thing as it's filling up with water floating around. Because just in case, you know, the sharks are coming. The shark. <laughs> um, this and, is the movie that actually taught me to be, like, observant. Because... Uh, I was spotting these sharks like, oh, uh, I think I think the, the director is trying to tell us something here. Um, and it turns out I was right. I, I think the one standout scene for the sinking of the ship is that there's two guys in the brig. Oh, yeah. Uh, one's one of the black guys who's in the fight. One's the white guy. Yeah. And like one of the cooks comes with the keys and lets out the black guy. And, then, and they then they drop the keys into the water that's filling up yeah. and start running out. You just hear this, like, one guy in the brig, like, yelling, like, come back to save me. Yeah. Like, it's really sad that this guy's gonna drown, basically, trapped. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah. then the one guy who fought him yeah. comes back in and finds oh, yeah. the keys and gets him out. Yeah, 
dives under the water, gets the keys, opens the cell, and then as he's trying to get him out, an explosion happens, and it knocks him into the cell, which closes behind them, and they're both locked in. Which, I don't know if you remember that happening, but yeah. I was like, oh shit, so that whole thing was so that they could drown together and die together, I guess? But then, I mean, like... More romantic that way. Yeah. They, they die in their embrace, and it's it's like the Titanic or something. Well, yeah, it's no, like Lost. No. <laughs> it's uh, Jin and Son on Lost, you know? Yeah. Rest in peace. Spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> when they're both trapped in there, then, like, they're both uh, praying and, like, saying, like, oh, I'm sorry for, like, all the shit I did to you and all this stuff. Yeah. The it's pretty like, touching. It is touching. And then the ship is tilting upwards while this is happening, and from the weight of it, it just splits in half, and it just so happens to split in half right at their cell <laughs> so that they swim out and escape and uh, get out together. A little bit of Hollywood magic. It's yeah. some action movie stuff, I guess. Um, kind Cage. of a ripoff of the Titanic that the ship sank, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You got to come up well, with more original ideas. What else is gonna happen to a ship? That would be dangerous. <laughs> what is uh, it gonna like get set on fire and flip upside down? That'd be, be ridiculous. Movie that take it over and become the captain now. Exactly. I bet they would say like look at the captain and say something like, "Look at me. I am the pilot of this ship." <laughs> I am like the a, pilot of the ship. For like a twist where like the iceberg was one of the members of the crew the whole time. Oh shit. A twist where the iceberg was Ice Cube. Yes. Now we have Let's a Let's reshoot the Titanic with Ice Cube <laughs> as the iceberg. I like it. Let's reshoot the Titanic Rob Zombie style, by which I mean more violent and more boobs. We see a Cage on the side of the ship ordering everybody to go over. He's planning on leaving the ship last, but an explosion knocks him off the side, and he's thrown headfirst into the water, where he immediately sees a shark swimming by him upon the, entering the, the water. instant he lands in the water, a shark just brushes right past him. Nothing draws sharks in closer than oil and debris. Yeah, if it's not blood, explosions wake him right the fuck up. Yeah. They gotta get there and see what all this explodiness is about. Exactly. I mean, they're starved the... for anything to watch that's entertaining. I mean, I know I was at this point. <laughs> but, so the sharks have to be, too. They're just waiting but... for something to happen, and so are we. Um, you really sympathize with the sharks in this one. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then we cut to the next day. It's daybreak. There's a bunch of men floating on a piece of wood. One of them is eaten by a great white while they're there. Um, just sharks eating people immediately right out the gate. There are many scenes where it's a bunch of guys talking, like, floating and something, and then one of them just gets eaten. Yeah. And in fact, that's the majority of this movie, is people talking, floating on a thing, bam, shark eating people. Which is what I came to see. Yeah. But, uh... Well, I mean, they could have gone with more set up in different ways. It's just like, it's always conversation, shark shows up. Conversation... Shark shows up. Yeah, it's, it's quite one note. They yeah. set up at this point, too, that there's, like, three distinct groups of yeah. these people. Yeah. Uh, yeah, one of them is just Cage and, yeah. and... uh Guy Without a Leg. Yeah, Guy Without a Leg, Tom Sizemore, I guess. And then there's group A and B, which are about a mile apart, I think it says. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, uh, Officer Dickhead, as I'm going to call him, he's uh, sitting in a raft alone, a giant raft alone, with a life vest on while he's in the raft and saying, like, you need to leave the rafts for the injured and for the officers. And he's just yelling and pointing a gun, like shooting a gun in the air, like, yeah, get out of there. Let the injured and the officers in that raft get out. He's um, just yeah, screaming at people who are fighting for their lives, yeah. as you do. Captain Cage is south of both of the groups. He he's chilling there, you know. Other groups chilling. They're all doing their thing. They're like, "Where is everybody? I don't know. Uh, let's live." 
Uh, a seaplane flies <laughs> Let's <out>. live. <laughs> they, they did uh, discuss that beforehand. <laughs> yeah. It's like, guys, I think the imperative here is that we live. <laughs> Let's put it to a vote. Should we live or should we die? <laughs> yeah. They're like drawing a map and scribbling around and you see the paper and it's just, it says live and they're circling it. <laughs> then we cut to, yeah, group of people talking and laughing. The black and white soldiers seem to be getting along. Uh, they're just making the best of the situation. Bam, dude's eaten by a shark. <laughs> All it took for them to get along was uh, the sinking of a ship. Guys, yes. we figured out how to end racism. We throw gotta, everyone in the ocean. Yeah, we throw them put... all in the ocean and let people start getting eaten by sharks, and bam, no more racism. Unless um, you're a dickhead officer. <laughs> yeah. Then, then you'll just keep it right up. And uh, in the aftermath of all the shark eating, uh, one black soldier named Theodore swims all the way away from the racist CEO, and I guess he's just out there swimming. He's just gonna do it, and he's swimming to nowhere. I particular. think it was like he was trying to lead a shark away or something. Oh, that like, might have been. It wasn't fully clear why he just started swimming, mm -hmm. but that's what I took it away as because it was like during a shark attack, this guy just starts booking it. I just assumed that he, uh, you know, saw an island and <laughs> was going for it. Yeah, <laughs> but Could've then been. he didn't. So. Maybe Nicolas Cage is his island. Yeah. He's No man is an island unless it's the cage. <laughs> but uh, he manages to make it all the way from one group over to the to Nicolas Cage. And he just gets in the boat and Cage is like, whoa, what? what? He's like, I, I swam. They're all the way over there. They're like out west over there or something. He's like, hold on. I'll be back. You give this guy some morphine. He's dying. <laughs> <laughs> like, and and uh, Tom Sizemore starts yelling about seeing angels. And he's like yelling. And he's like, I don't want to see the angels. I want morphine. Give me my morphine. Damn it. Well, stop <laughs> taking that cocaine. Exactly. <laughs> stop with the cocaine. You're seeing angels. Get yeah. a little morphine in you. What the doctor ordered. Uh, so, yeah, Cage goes off to try and find the other crew. He doesn't, but he finds some other people who got separated from that group, and they all clump up. Theodore is apparently a writer. He's reading uh, to the dying guy, and the dying guy's like, yeah, you're a real good writer. You gotta keep doing this. They're all listening to his journal entries and stuff. And um, we find out it's been two days at sea with no rescue. They had two days of supplies, so now they're officially out of supplies. They're like, uh, wait, is this... Is this after they're passing around that can of spam? And, um, uh, this is yeah. like at the same time. Yeah, everybody take a hit of this can of spam. Yeah. We're going to one per day. Yeah. yeah, they have to like super ration and yeah. everyone's dehydrated, starving, exposure. Yeah. Um, How come they don't uh, just drink some of that water that they're throwing to my You know what I'm saying? That's like, I mean, you surround plot hole. <laughs> yeah, it's like, how can you be surrounded by water? And thirsty. Water, water everywhere, so let's all have a drink. Exactly. It's like being um, in the desert and you're I'm cold. <laughs> we see at the other group a guy starts throwing up over the side of the boat and bam! Shark comes up, bites him in the head, and pulls him right in. And and then everyone's like, Ah, a shark! That's that hasn't happened already like five times. But oh the God, CG... I forgot we talked so much about sharks. Yeah. <laughs> We're quickly going through this, but there's just scene after scene of Hey, how's it going? Good, you? Oh, I'm fine. Shark attack. <laughs> yeah, this has happened like 15 times. I don't know. Yeah, they just they just want you to think that there's going to be a normal conversation finally, but then, oh wait, whoops, there's a shark. No normal conversations around sharks. Mm-hmm. That's the other thing that attracts them. So it, let's let's get a list going. We got blood. We got oil. Uh, oil. Debris. We got debris. Bombs. Um, and then whatever I just said. Conversations. Conversations, yeah. yeah. Shooting the shit. 
It'll attract the sharks. Nope. Yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> in fact, that's uh, really if we look out the window right now. The sharks are just looking. <laughs> oh, for, man, there's a damn. For those viewers at home, there's a giant shark outside the window. It's, it's just kind of scary. It's, it's a pool shark. It's actually Charlie Sheen from the previous <laughs> movie. Um, I'm sorry, Fats? Oh, yeah, Fats. Uh, keep fats going girl. on about angles and geometry. <laughs> He's yelling, damn, I'm good. <laughs> but, um, I'm a shark and I love geometry. <laughs> Uh well we cut back to the other group um they're throwing the the legless man overboard I guess he's died and um Cage is crying I and... thought they just did that because he was kind of annoying <laughs> <laughs> dude quit talking about morphine dude man. why are you holding your leg <laughs> I've never heard somebody whine so much <laughs> <laughs> oh look at me I don't have a leg you know oh, what dude I'd uh, kill to have one less leg weighing me down right now. <laughs> I could eat my leg if it wasn't on me. <laughs> I mean, I want to lose like 25 pounds. That's one way to do it. Cut your leg right the fuck off. Um, so the other CEO who's a dick, or CO, not CEO, I'm sorry. The CEO of the boat. <laughs> <laughs> the CEO of uh, the dickhead corporation is, uh, he's like, we've just seen an island over there. Y'all, it's some of you come with me. You, white guy, come with me. You, white guy, come with me. You, white guy, come with me. All you black guys, you stand behind. Haha. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, well, can you leave some of the supplies? And he's like, yeah, here's the supplies. That raft over there that these other white guys just got out of. You can have that. We'll oh, see you. Here's the other supplies you can have a bag of bricks. <laughs> Here, hold this shark bait for me. Yeah. I'm leaving all the sharks for you guys. We're going to go to this island. And a bucket of minnows you guys could take care of for me. And, um, yeah. So they go off to that island and we never see from them again for the entire rest of the movie. Was there even an island? I don't like, know. Like it didn't show up in the distance of the shots. Like he's looking in binoculars, but you can't see it. Yeah, uh, they were definitely setting us up for a sequel. Yeah. <laughs> and it's only been a few years. We might get it. I don't well, know. Maybe. They're trying to set up the uh dark universe. Uh, it's going to be the mummy uh, the USS <laughs> Indianapolis. <laughs> the Invisible Man. It's uh yeah. This was actually the Sharknado prequel. Mhm. I mean, this is where the sharks get the taste. Oh, and then the, the the tornado comes from the the nuke. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. Okay. You know what? I was gonna say that like tsunami uh, tornado that took out all those Mongolian <laughs> ships, but uh, so Brian, we cut to Brian and Mike who are in a raft together, and Brian's confessing that he loves that girl that Mike was proposing to, and Mike's just like, uh, oh. oh you missed right. a shot. Cool. Yeah, yeah, you missed a shot. And if then, we get back, you can fuck her one time. Yeah. And they sit there with their legs over the raft, and uh, a shark just bites them in the leg, and then they like punch it in the face, and it lets go. And he um he is pulled into the raft, and he's like, "Ah, oh, this is gonna hurt my dance game." <laughs> um, and they all laugh as he bleeds out. Yeah. So uh, Mike's dying, and he's telling Brian like. Take care of Clara when I'm gone, which I just learned at that part was was the her name. name. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so uh, I'm gonna only fuck her one time. <laughs> <laughs> um, day four. Now everyone's like all weary and shit. Uh, there's a guy carving a raft with a knife. There's a voiceover from Cage saying, "We're all going crazy out here." Uh, I guess they're all out of food. They're starving. Like. If you look around, nobody's talking. They're all staring downwards, doing nothing. And sharks are like swimming by and like knocking people's arms. And then they're just like, uh, they're they're like zombies out there. Not much to talk about out there. 
you know. Um, nothing to eat or drink. And... <laughs> There's plenty to get eaten by, but... <laughs> Look um, on the bright side. We find out that the black guy who's in the fight has gone blind now. Um, as a bomber flies by and sees the oil spill from their ship. And, and he, uh, uh, he says, where? <laughs> where is it? They also spot some of the survivors. Uh, they were about to drop a bomb because they assumed it was a Japanese sub that was by the oil spill, but then they see the survivors and stop dropping the bomb. A seaplane comes by and, like, lands, and everybody gets onto the boat, and Cage is standing there like, I'm fine out here, get my men out of the water, and then they get, like, a all teary-eyed, like, bum, bum, bum. You know that military music where it's, like, a single horn in the background and, oh, then, yeah. like, a snare drum rattle? Um, and you just you just get like yeah, a single see, like, tear a, in your a eye. Salute and a single tear like going down people. There's an eagle flying by whose wings create such a wind that an American flag starts waving majestically. Yeah. Uh, the same guy as before who was yelling about it being a Japanese ruse is like, no, you don't know. You can't land the plane there. Like the Japanese sub is probably still there waiting to sink your ship. We can't send out ships. And then the guy's like, well, I can't take off my plane again, bitch. So send some ships. And then he's like. And then we get cut to like three destroyers coming out there to pick them up. And um we cut to a boardroom with two guys who are higher ups in the navy very directly saying, like, hey, this is the biggest sinking in the history of of the war at this point. And we didn't pick them up for four days. We didn't even get proper intel, and any of it that was was ignored. And then the other guy's like, Yeah. We're going to have to pin this on somebody. They literally say that right yep. there, like, uh, uh, very directly. And um, and who's the obvious choice for their own ship going down? Let's pin it on the captain. Yeah. Like, Wait, hold on. Can we blame one of the black guys? <laughs> yeah, he didn't serve the tea right. <laughs> Tasted like hot sauce. <laughs> uh, it... it does like a montage of like everyone going to their families and like hugging all the people or whatever yeah uh then it's nicholas cage's house and one of the higher-ups in the navy comes by and is like oh i need to talk to you like hey you're gonna be court-martialed but also don't tell anyone we knew that there was a japanese sub in the water yeah we, we knew that you. that was going down that was negligence on our part you should have had escorts i'm so sorry and then he's yeah. like he's like the one who denied him the escorts too. Yeah. so it's just like they're trying to like make this guy seem better by telling him the info but it's like no because you're the you're kind of part of the reason why this happened but um yeah cage is having like ptsd dreams He's getting uh, hate calls, hate mail and stuff, like yeah. ringing on the phone, talking about how he's a terrible person. Yeah, uh, Brian, families it, of the survivors, specifically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and apparently the media is, like, painting him out to be, like, this is his fault, and that's why he's being court-martialed, and he caused all these deaths, even though he was just trying to save his people. <laughs> yeah, score yeah. one for the fake news media. <laughs> fake news. This is the start of fake news. This fake. is where it began. And, um... Well, Brian is visiting Clara, confesses her love to her. She's already pregnant with Mike's baby, but is showing no signs of it, which confuses me because they were gone for at least, like, four months. Yeah. So I was kind of like, well, you got to be, like, you got to have a bit of a baby bump, right? Like, what's going on? Yeah, here? you were, like, throttling her. Like, why <laughs> don't you have a baby bump? <laughs> um, yeah, so Cage is being court-martialed. All the soldiers are together partying, and they're going to show up at his trial. And I wrote at this point, holy shit, will this movie ever end? <laughs> um, uh, Spoiler alert, it never did. The, the prosecutor is interviewing Cage, and he's like, so can you tell me about when you got off the ship? And then Cage is like, 
yeah, here's how I got off. And they just show clips from earlier in the movie yeah. where he gets exploded off the side and flies into water. And the prosecutor has like tears building up in his eyes and his lips quivering. And he's just like, no, no further questions, Your Honor. Yeah. And walks away. <laughs> like, and I'm just like, come on. <laughs> and they're like grilling him on uh, when he called for the abandoned ship. Uh, and then when he actually abandoned ship, uh, which was, uh, now fresh my memory, it was like a flat. 10 seconds? Yeah. <laughs> so, he's being court-martialed for two reasons. Or he has two different like court-martials. One is for failing to do the zigzag maneuver. Mm. Uh, and then the second one is failing to abandon ship in a timely manner or something. Yeah, something failing, along those failing lines. Failing to call yeah. for the abandoned ship within a timely manner. Yeah. So, like, as said earlier in the movie, Nicolas Cage was saying how zigzag won't work against chitons. Yeah. Uh, and then the abandoned ship thing was like he wasn't even on the deck at the time and he like called for it as soon as he could. And, mm -hmm. But they're just painting him out to be this negligent captain. And then on the on the matter of the zigzagging, the prosecution calls to the stand the Japanese sub commander who launched the torpedo to sink the ship. He comes up and testifies. Um, we get a clip showing that he did not use a Kaiten. Uh, because he wanted to save the life of the crew member who was going to pilot the Kai-10, and it was just normal torpedoes. So then the prosecutor's like, do you think that they could have dodged it? And he says, no, there's n even the zigzag maneuver wouldn't have dodged it because we were way too close to them. They were fucked, and we the bomb. Uh, well, and then they got we, the we bomb got the bomb. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jokes on um, those fuckers. That's what uh, he said. Not me. That wasn't yeah. me. He was saying. And then uh, we see... Cage is Captain Cage, as I'm writing here, <laughs> is Cap, uh, for sure. Yeah, he's uh, acquitted of failure to call to abandon ship in time, but is found guilty of failing to zigzag the ship. And uh, I think he's like stripped of his ranks and yep. unable Kicked to. Out. Yeah. So after the trial ends, Cage walks out and immediately walks up to the Japanese soldier, and um. They talk to each other, and the Japanese man says, like, I was doing my duty as a soldier of the Imperial Army into my government, but I do have regrets about what happened there. And then Cage says, like, yeah, and I I dropped off the atomic bomb, and that kind of fucked you guys up, and I kind of regret that, too, even like, though I was doing my duty as a soldier. It's a nice scene of, like, we did what we were told, but as a person, we regret it. Mm -hmm. I was just following orders. Yeah. I, I made a big whoopsie, but I still like you. Yeah, basically. <laughs> basically. Can yeah. we be friends? And uh, then we get an end scene where Cage is saying, like, uh, well, my wife died not soon after this. And uh, the so dreams of... What? Is he, he killed her, right? Yeah, <laughs> he fucking murdered her. <laughs> he, in a blind rage, he was, <laughs> like... Uh, just started murdering her. Um, that that uh that got very little screen time for how significant it yeah, was. He was like so. having a dream that he was sleeping next to a shark, and that he, <laughs> he woke up and turned around and just uh, yeah, yeah, gave her a good sucker shark punch. So uh, Cage is reflecting on his dead wife. He says the dreams of the dead men have never stopped. And all these hateful phone calls, and you just see him putting his pistol up to his head, and then it zooms out, and there's a gunshot, and, uh, yeah, Cage kills himself again, so. Again. Out of, uh, three episodes we had, only two of which were we've done movies so far, and we're just a general overview, Cage has killed himself twice in these episodes, so. We've had four fun. movies. Can't uh, wait for the next episode. <laughs> two instances of him, uh, doing magic tricks. 
and or blowing his own brains out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't even think about that. The magic trick. Yeah. It's it's either suicide or magic. Uh, <laughs> they go hand in hand. <laughs> that would be actually a good title for this podcast. <laughs> suicide or magic. Uh, and it closes with photos of the crew and interviews with actual crew members talking about the sharks mostly. And uh, oh, big and head teeth. Yeah, Scary. they're real big. And uh, I remember if you punched one in the eye, it would be like, ow, and be, stop <laughs> eating you. Oh, and it would like big and angry. It fucking remind me of my freaking ex-wife. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, that's the end of the film there. And um, like we said before, my my final opinions on this thing are that I mean, it's a cool concept, and I bet you could make an interesting movie out of this, maybe, but uh, go and watch a documentary about this if you want to learn more about it. Don't watch this yeah, movie. This, there's <laughs> no reason whatsoever to watch this movie. <laughs> that was, for me, because, again, like I hadn't heard of this event ever, like, going into it. Like, I didn't even know the ship was going to sink. Thanks uh, to the American education system. Public school. <laughs> Continue. Uh, but after watching it, I was interested in what happened and like i did more research and everything like turns out their sos was picked up by three different stations mm-hmm. at one of the stations the commander was drunk at the second station the commander told the people do not disturb me for anything so they just ignored it and then the third one was the one in the film uh and like how all the survivors now like meet up every year and like i think at 2017 like there was 17 people left uh, oh yeah that like tell that, all the stories and everything yeah and that was when they found the wreckage of the indianapolis yeah. like um was 2017 some mm-hmm. could say that um because they found the wreckage in 2017 a year after this movie that this movie is the reason they found it exactly and in case we didn't say uh there was a 1195 crewmen and only 300 survived yeah serious Which, death toll it's a uh, 900 people dead is kind of messed up especially considering uh I don't know. There's probably not any stats out there because I don't know how you would figure this out. But how many uh, survived the ship sinking but died waiting in the water? Uh, I think that's actually listed. But uh, either I, way, it's sad. Yeah, it, it was the biggest uh, loss of life from one ship during World War II. Mm-hmm. Which I didn't know that, but uh, until after this. But yeah, which it's it, also the oh. yeah, it's a really interesting thing to like. Learn enough about it. Again, a documentary would have been a lot more interesting. Yeah, I mean, yeah. still with Nicolas Cage involved. Oh, like, yeah, he's he even more playing the sharks. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, instead we get, like, a slog full of uh, side plots that all go nowhere, have no meaning, and don't do anything, really. And, um, and a whole bunch of conversations briefly interrupted by poor CGI shark attacks. And uh, a whole lot of dialogue talking about nothing at all. Uh, but we do get another cage suicide, so that's cage suicide count two, cage magic trick count two, um, and uh, those aren't tallies that will be ongoing because I'm I'm almost certain that we haven't seen the last of him shooting himself in the head. Yeah. <laughs> One other thing I found of note: so in early two thousands or early nineties, uh, Bill Clinton acquitted the captain for his uh, court martial, like turned it yep. over. Uh, that process was started by a sixth grader who oh, for wow. a history project was like looking into it and then it turned into a congressional investigation and went all the way up to the president signing off on it that that is pretty impressive yeah, yeah. that is I don't... that wouldn't that have been a much more interesting story to tell yeah, honestly probably. 
a sixth grader changing the world. That's a story. So for all the sixth graders out there listening to <laughs> Don't Give Up. Yeah. You've got this. Write that the letter. You write all those um, uh, persuasive essays that make you write in class. Write to the president about things that happened, you know, like 70 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, uh, at that time, 50. If we're talking just uh, intelligence, uh, the president's basically a sixth grader himself. <laughs> Ooh, topical. Uh-huh. He's a dumb fucking idiot. <laughs> well, uh, shall we move on to uh, the vote? The vote. Dun, dun, oh, yeah, dun, we haven't dun, voted. Dun, dun, dun. So, um, um, what stood out about each of these movies? Uh, Deadfall, Cage's acting certainly stood out. Cage's acting, the, the lack of coherence. Uh, Dr. Lime. <laughs> Dr. Lime, standout character. Terrible movie, very entertaining. Mm-hmm. Fantastic movie, terribly entertaining. <laughs> um, um, what stood out about the USS Indianapolis? Sharks? Sharks? If I'm being honest, uh, really nothing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I found that movie very interesting. I would not say entertaining. Yeah. Uh, like, I wouldn't watch a movie about this. I would not watch this movie again. Mm. But it did make me learn a lot more about it, which yeah. I think is the goal of that kind of movie. Yeah, actually, uh, it was during this that I, well, while watching this movie, I kept stopping and going on Wikipedia and reading more in-depth stuff about this, which I found to be a lot more interesting than the movie I was watching, and I was yeah, kind of... <laughs> like, that movie really should have been a documentary. Yeah. Anyways, shall we get to the vote? Yeah. I Dave, can we, can we get a countdown here? No. Alright, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> well, then, uh, then I'll count it down. Three. Seven. Oh. <laughs> Oops. Uh, three. I think it's three six mafia. Um, three, three six, six five. Mafia. Damn, she fine. Eleven. Five eleven. Three eleven. Three. Let's, all right. Let's on the count Two. of three eleven. Let's all say our one vote. Dead. Dead. Fall. Dreadfall. Dreadfall. Yeah. <laughs> it's dreadfall. Yeah, we all fucked up the title. <laughs> dreadfall is advancing. Mm-hmm. Who would have that known? was unanimous too. I wasn't sure whether or not that would be unanimous because I mean, USS yeah, Indianapolis is objectively a better made film. I would say, aside from the poor it's, CGI, it's just not entertaining. Yeah, if it if it was more entertaining, I would a hundred percent go for that one. Mm-hmm. But it just it slogs through all that beginning. Yeah, there's a whole lot of nothing going on really, and it's all um. They easily could have cut 45 minutes from that movie. Yeah, just show me Nicolas Cage blowing his brains out so I don't have to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, if you want to watch a movie about shark attacks, um, watch Jaws or Deep Blue Sea or something. If you want to watch a movie about World War II, watch, like, Saving Private Ryan or Jaws, uh, Tora, 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 or... Jaws does reference the USS Indianapolis. It True, does. it does. And That's Tom Sizemore is in Saving Private Ryan, so it all comes full circle. Yeah, there we go. What it, so many different ways you can like this. <laughs> so what we're saying is watch Jaws and Saving Private Ryan and skip USS Indianapolis. Watch anything but this. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So uh, it looks like next time when we gather, our matchup is going to be Knowing versus Arsenal, both oh, yes. of which I know nothing about, and uh, I don't have an arsenal of knowledge regarding. <laughs> we'll, we'll cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, but yeah, we'll uh, we'll see you next time. Well, we won't see you, but you'll hear us next time. Oh and wait, quick, to, uh, Zach, did you have anything to plug? Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, if you guys can, butthole. <laughs> you guys can use my uh, link to Hello Apron. Uh, you'll get a free meal. Oh yeah. Uh, at the expense of taking away a meal from Nick. Mm. And uh, for me, you can donate to. I just started a foundation um, where we are trying to um, kill the remaining <laughs> survivors. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I I'm getting emotional. Uh, <laughs> it's. It's it's a moving thing to finally have them join their crew. You know what I mean. The rest of their crew. We just we just <laughs> we, should really we want that. them to go home. <laughs> they you know because they're not seeing angels here. So, oh god. All right, and uh, on that note, I'm seeing angels. Hi <laughs> fucking yeah. We're Bye seeing angels, yeah. and you'll hear us next time. Hi fucking yeah. Hi fucking ya and good night. Good night. This has been a solid work production. Solid work. Solid work. Uh, solid work. Hey, solid, solid work. work.